and welcome to El Oso Fumar Takes. This is our 200th take live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, a milestone indeed, and only, only possible because of the agreement of our guest of honor tonight. Can we make the 200th take as special as it's going to be? You all are all in for a real treat. But before we get to formal introductions of the man of the hour, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. And that, of course, is our sponsors. Tonight's show is sponsored by Drew Estate. Count it down. Just four more days until Drew Estate is about to make someone a whole lot richer during its freestyle live show on the 17th of February on their Facebook page. They will be giving away an entire Bitcoin. Yeah, you heard it here. Drew Estate has announced they will hold a Bitcoin sweepstakes with numerous incredible other prizes. You had a chance to enter it other uh, on their other freestyle lives throughout the last couple of months, but don't despair. There are other opportunities to win. You definitely want to tune in and find out who the lucky winner is going to be on February 17th during their freestyle live on their Facebook page. An entire Bitcoin going to one lucky winner. And welcome. We really appreciate everyone for tuning in for our 200th take. So without further ado, tonight's guest of honor, my friend, an icon, the legend himself, without further ado, sponsored by United Cigars. Smoke one today and start living united. Carlos, Carlito Fuente Jr. Carlito, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, my brother. Listen, I appreciate it very much. I want to congratulate you on your 200th episode. That's amazing. And to give me the opportunity, this great honor to share this with you and all your followers and to be able to share a little bit what life's about and what our passion is about. It's, it's really a privilege. And um, it touched my heart when you reached out to me and gave me the opportunity to be here. And I'm looking forward to spending time and sharing our worlds together because my world is your world. And we both share the same world and the same passion. So I just want to say thank you again and congratulations, Bear. I thank you. That's very humbling coming from you, Carlito. I I, I was I was thrilled that you uh, were able to make this work with your schedule. Um, it's something I've wanted to do. I had in mind for a while, and uh, the fact that it kind of was, uh, the, you know, the stars aligned and made it made it happen was uh, was was wonderful and 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 just befitting of befitting of the 200th take, you know, it's a milestone. And, and yeah, I can't believe I got here either. I look back and I've had some amazing conversations and tonight will certainly be among them. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to tonight's conversation. So, um, but uh, I know you've had a really, uh, you've had a very interesting week, long week, long day, uh, always long days. You work, uh, work tirelessly hard uh, and, a, uh, a trait that you learned from your uh, from your late father, of course, who uh, worked uh, and, and your grandfather too. both both were kind of well, both worked almost. I mean, till up until the day they um, the, the, the day they passed. Right. That's correct. And I, I, I have every intention to do the same. <laughs> and hopefully it's not anytime soon. Yes. I mean, that's you know, that's what we learned. That's the example. And, you know, I you learn from watching your parents and seeing all the things that um, I, I'm not going to say hard work, but sacrifice to, but that was, it was a sacrifice because you understand when they skip dinner or they skip a lunch and um, 
their responsibilities comes first. It's a huge sacrifice, but I never seen that. I never in my life heard them or, or seen them complain about it. That was their life. You do what you have to do. And, um, you know, that example, living and seeing that, watching that movie over and over and over again growing up, um, you know, it just, it's, it's that flame that's just that torch behind me that if I slow down, I feel my neck is getting hot and I get burned. I got to keep going. And the only thing I want in my life is just, uh, you know, I know they're watching just to make them all proud and to be able to do the best that I can. And hopefully, you know, my children, the next generation and the people, our entire team understands that, that we have a responsibility. People depend on us. And not only part our team and, and the thousands of people who work side by side with us, but the consumers. I mean, they're depending on us, the industry. I really believe that. I really believe that. And that's really what keeps me motivated. I believe that I have a responsibility to the industry, to customers, to retailers, and to other manufacturers also. But most important, my heritage. I have a responsibility to make sure that this ship, the ship that we're all, we're all sitting in, the big ship continues to float and continues to move forward, you know, and, and you know, just take it a safe harbor. And um, it's my beliefs and, and yes, I, you know, this is a conversation and that's exactly what I wanted to be. Um, I, I search for answers, Bear. I search for answers and uh, hopefully to get some kind of light or some kind of indication of why, but I don't sleep at night thinking of all the things, worrying about everyone and wanting to do the best I can with the time I have left, you know, in this world, this wonderful, beautiful world, because it is a beautiful world. You know, I hear you use the word responsibility and I've heard it several times um, in, in some previous conversations as well. And I had the opportunity to interview another colleague of yours from in the Dominican, Lito Gomez of the Florida Dominicana yes, once. And he he used that word heavily too. That I mean that's that's a real heavy weight, you know. I mean that 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 you kind of carry around when I when I hear you talk about the responsibility of you know making sure that these cigars are absolutely perfect every single time because they're that's that's somebody's celebration that you're contributing to, or that's someone's day you're contributing to. And, and you, and, and then also you talk about, you know, the legacy of your family and, and the weight of, you know, your father and his father. I mean, does, I mean, that, that's, that, I mean, that's, that's quite the, that's quite the load to carry. Um, I mean, what's, I mean, does that, I mean, has that pressure ever gotten to you or it's just, it's, it's, it's just synonymous with you. It's just part of you that's, at this point. That's the fire that fuels my soul. And I'm not going to, I'm not a superhuman. I'm a weak, simple, normal human being. I feel, I hurt, I suffer, I cry. And uh, it's a responsibility. Yes, it's a big responsibility. But it's, it's what keeps me going because also my challenge and it's, it's what I have to accomplish in life. I have to, my goal in life is that when I get off the train 
the last stop, wherever that stop is going to be on this one train, that everybody's a passenger on that train. And some people get off earlier, some people get off later. But when I get off and that train stops, it's my time to get off. And I know that that train only has one conductor. There's only one conductor, you know, the, the man up top. When I get off that train, the only thing, my ultimate wish when I leave this earth is when I get off that train and whether I have a chance to sit on a bench, I don't know what's going to happen, that I look back as that train moves away and I see someone, I don't know if it's going to be one of my children, siblings, nephews, or just somebody else that really has the passion. I see someone that I pass that torch to and is holding that torch, just looking back at me, at this old man with a big smile, and I could go in peace because there's nothing more that one in my life than for the sacrifices of my grandmother, grandfather, uncle, aunts, everybody's worked side by side with my family, mother and father, all their sacrifices or their love affair, their passion, because to others, that may be a sacrifice to us as just one happy family and love affair of the company, the name, the brand. That is, that is our DNA for that to continue for another hundred years. And you know where the weight is at? It's the responsibility. We talk about responsibility. It's, it's on my shoulders to make sure that that torch is passed on to the person that's going to continue to carry the, the brand. I say family name because our family is on the brand, but the brand, the principles, the integrity, the honor, the tradition, take it to the next following century. To me, that's the most important thing. If I don't accomplish that, then, then I didn't accomplish my dreams in my life. Yeah, it's, it's one of the, the things that I absolutely love about this industry is the how how important it is to keep telling the story and the story could be told verbally, like what we're just talking about right now. Um, it can be talked through the documentary that you and I were discussing before the show started that was done about your family. It can be done through this, right? Can be done through these. And I remember from the, one of the very first time that I had the opportunity to speak with you on cigar coup primetime special edition was um, that if you don't, if you don't document your history, it can be erased forever. And so that was something that you, that you said several times that night. And it, it really kind of clicked with me as I was, you know, it was that night, but it, it, as I, as I've heard that, you know, re gone back and re-listened to that conversation, how important it is for you to keep telling your story and whether that's done through creating cigars or having these conversations and how much it actually means. And, you know, I've seen, we've seen all the, the chats coming in and everything like that. And we see how much it actually means to people with the, the story that you keep telling. It's really I totally agree, Bear. I agree. Uh, sadly, I'm not a great writer to write everything down, but just what's happened in the last couple of years with all these programs and everything. And, being able to, to tell a story, not the story of, of my family, but the story of other families, the great families 
who opened the ways that the passages for us to be here today. You know, I believe that we have to know where we come from, the history, and why we are where we're at, why we are where we're at today, and who we are. And there's so many great families that I had the blessing to have gotten to know or, or relationship because I've been around for a long time. I've been around. I was born in 1954, and I was born into this. So, you know, this there's almost, you know, 45 years, almost 50 years, it, you know, this business. And, and my father had a very good relationship with just about everybody. And so I met so many people and I know the stories. And if those stories are not remembered or documented, somebody's going to come out that's a great writer from a great university. It's going to write history and change all the history. It's going to be, and they're going to forget the great, the great, great, tobacco families and people that were around that really built this industry and took it to where it is that created all these different things, created all the shapes that, that really set the trend of luxury and cigars and so forth. I think it's very, very important to, to speak about it, to have these conversations and respect and remember. Absolutely. So, Carlito, if you would do me uh, an honor to kind of kick us off tonight, um, I've got a couple of, well, I actually got four cigars here, um, and I would I would be honored if you chose the cigar for me to start off uh, this evening. So, a okay. um, couple of choices here. I've got the uh, the always classic, uh, Hemingway classic. I've got uh, one of my personal favorites uh, that we've we've talked about on occasion. Um, especially, I love, I especially love uh, aging it for one year and smoking it on the following Thanksgiving. And that is the, uh, the Anejo, the Reserva. I knew you were going to say that. I Anejo. knew you were going to, when you said about Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then of course I've got an Opus X, uh, Destino al Siglo. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. but a treat that I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to pick it, but I'm, I'm going to make this really enticing for you. I'm really excited. I have a sealed box that I am fully prepared to crack open. I've even got my knife here of a Chateau de la Fuente Opus Opus X uh, Perfection A. Wow. So, wow. So it would honor me if you uh, select wow. my first cigar for me. I, I would suggest uh, Hemingway. You got that it. would be my suggestion. But it depends on the mood you're in and what you want, because... You have some, uh, the Hemingway is just, it's a medium body cigar. I think it's a classic. It is. It's mm -hmm. a classic. It's, uh, it's the bread and butter blend of the Fuente family. It's what people, you know, they go every morning to the bakery. They buy their fresh bread, mm -hmm. they eat it, and they come back the next morning. It's just, you know, it's been there for many, many years, and it's just a favor so many people. It's a cigar that is very enjoyable. And it's, of course, is with uh, the rapper's African Cameroon. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's got a certain, it's got body. It's, I think it's a very well and balanced cigar. But what's special about the Hemingway, for me, is we talk about history. And if you don't have these conversations and document it, you know, maybe somebody will remember. What's special to me about the Hemingway series of cigars that profile, if you look back in history, back in the 40s and maybe into the 50s, 
there were so many cigars that were perfecto shapes or figurados and handmade cigars. And for some reason, they became unpopular. Uh, there were no, there was no one that I knew that my, no one in the States that were making those wooden figurado molds. Cigar makers who made them, who knew how to make them, were passing away. And it just became unpopular. There was no demand. There was no demand. It's like we hear a lot of times conversation about Lanceros. Oh, they're cute, look good to look at, but nobody's going to buy them. And that became the Figurado. And I always, I was so passionate about history and the art and the old days and the old labels that every time I saw these black and white photos of, of anyone, you know, the older days or factories or my grandfather, most of the cigars were figurados. And I knew looking at my, you know, my father's old brochures when I was growing up and my grandfather's that we made figurados. And when we moved to Dominican Republic, I told my father, said, dad, I think we should reintroduce. I don't want to say that, you know, invent it. No, it's, it's not, we didn't create it, but it reintroduced the figurado, what we called the fancy tale and the Fuente line. There were several others also, Queens and, and so forth. And my dad says, listen, son, first of all, nobody knows how to make them. There's no one to make a mold for that because cigar makers already were used to working with a mold. They were difficult times. It was a transition in the industry, the early 80s. And he says, and if we did teach someone to make it, he said, there will be no one to buy it. And my father mentioned to me that he, he, my grandfather had taught him how to make the perfecto, how to cut the end and do the little surgery you have to do for the end to tie the, you know, to wrap the wrap around. And I said, dad, please, could you go back to the old warehouse if you find any old molds, my grandfather, Abuelo's old molds. And I, time went by one year, a year and a half, two years, but I kept on with, dad, I, please, Dan, just, let's just do it for you to smoke or for me. Let's just make this one cigar maker. And my dad went back, brought back some of my grandfather's almost. That's how it started. And for about a year, year and a half, my father, he went to, uh, I, back then was RTDA. He had some of these cigars in his pocket. And I, people probably, you're too young, like Lionel Melendi and all the old time. Oye, Calito, my father used to call him Calito. Calito, give me one of those cigars. Coño, it's like going Cubano, coño, the otro. It's like perfecto. And they loved it. They smoked it. And that was like his personal cigar. And one day there was a journalist named Alan Schwartz that he was, um, he was assigned a whole year with a budget to travel around the world in search of the best cigar. And he's the one that picked the cigar as look for the future for the best cigar. And he also mentioned Ramon C. Fuentes, Partagas number one, and a cigar by Frank Yanes at that time. It was 1983. And he's the one that said, look out for a cigar that's coming called Hemingway. He named it. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he came up with the name, right? He came up with the name. He, came up, he named it Hemingway. And the reason is because when he was in my father's little humble little office, which was really, honestly, back then, it was an old crate of, uh, of broadleaf, you know, when it was all wood, the wooden crates of old, but people that are in the business would know. And he put a, 
a, a four by plywood on top. That was his desk. But of course, on top of his desk, he had his adding machine. He had a bunch of stuff, his, his journals, and he had these bundle of cigars. And the journalist, Alan Schwartz, asked what, they, what it was. He said, oh, this is a cigar that I'll make for myself and maybe a few friends. Uh, but what do you call it? It's, it's my father's plane. It wasn't on the market. It was something that was not commercially sold. And he says, do you intend, this is the first time ever, ever in history, my father ever was even in front of a journalist. You know, my father was shy away from that. And, uh, and he says, he, he asked him, he says, do you intend to someday sell it? Of course, you know, my father, businessman, first time. Of course, someday I will. What is it going to be called? He says, well, I want to name it after a great man, like cigars. You know, cigars are named after Napoleon. They're named after uh, Churchill, a great man. But I want a man that loves my culture, that loves, you know, fishing, that's a man's man, bullfighting, this and that, blah, blah, blah. The journalist walked away, blah, blah, blah. And then in his article, he says, look out for a cigar called Hemingway. That is the cigar from being obscure, unknown in Ebor City, the phone did not stop ringing when that, when that magazine came out. We had never, ever, we couldn't afford any kind of advertising or anything. We never advertised. I mean, that was before advertising, even in Smoke Shop and Tobacconist Magazine, you know, even in the, the trade magazine. And all of a sudden, the phone starts ringing all over, people looking for that cigar. And that's the birth of Hemingway. So that's why that cigar that you're enjoying now is so special because remember that didn't exist. Look how many Figurados are in the world today. Look all the cigars with shapes, with this, with that. You know, you got to, that cigar led several years later. It started with a signature and then the classic was second. Then the short story. Right. Then, you know, we came with the, the unknown and the masterpiece. But between the lines, between the lines, that is the first cigar in history, in history. That's, let me just at least defend myself and say commercially sold or that I'm aware of, still aware of, because I was a student of history of tobacco and cigars. I never saw a cigar commercially sold with two wrappers. People call it barber pole and that turns my guts, it rips them out inside out. We made that cigar that size because if you look at the Maduro part, there's no veins. We cut in between the veins and you cannot do that on a big cigar. It's not tobacco wrapped around the cigar. It is a cigar that you got two flavors, one wrapper blended with the other. And between the lines, that was inspired when I was a little boy. Memories of my mother. My mom used to save money in the weekend. So we go to a movie or something. And many times we used to stay home and watch on Fridays movies together. It was my treat. Cynthia was very young, but it was my treat. And at that time, which we didn't know, there was something that was in the market or in the grocery store for the first time for us. Remember, we were very humble. Before that, I knew there was vanilla, chocolate, and, van and, and strawberry ice cream. And all of a sudden, my mom brings a surprise called chocolate ripple, vanilla ice cream with fudge swirls all through it and so forth. 
To me, that was like, oh my God. And I was a little boy, but that kept in my mind the vanilla and the chocolate, vanilla and the chocolate. And the day came where, as our company developed, if I got more experience and everything, I wanted to see if I could do that with tobacco. And that's how, that's how Between the Lion was born. Through a memory of the moments I spent with my mom, with my mother, eating chocolate ripple. Everything in our life comes, in my life, comes from a memory or love or something very special to me. Today, you see all those different cigars. All those cigars that you see with all these different shapes and everything, it was born in the Fuente factory. But we did it for charity because we started going to events. Like you mentioned earlier, we're talking about charity. Started going to events and everything. And I learned early on that if you have something a little different and something very rare, you know, people who enjoy cigars, men and women alike, they like to collect them and they like to hold, not baseball cards, okay, the rare one, the one that doesn't exist. But they pay so much money for these cigars, for charity, 100% for charity. But it's not the cigar. It's not the cigar. And people, I want everybody to understand that. It's the cause. It's the charity. People give for the charity. So there's all these things came about, which today the world of cigars has become very artful, very creative. But if it wasn't for Hemingway, where we have gotten there, we never would know. It all started with Hemingway. That's why that cigar I mentioned to enjoy first. Well, it's it's starting off phenomenally. You know, I I, I love every time I every time I open up a, a, like a Hemingway or other Fuentes that use that Mirafel Cameroon. I, I always take a moment just to kind of look at the wrapper, look at those, the, the quintessential Cameroon freckles that you see. Mm -hmm. um, and then I love, I love tasting the wrapper by itself. Cause you get this, there's this nuttiness, the sweetness, and it's just, it's, and we were talking about the responsibility, right? It's the same every time it's the same every time. And it just takes you back to memories. Like you were talking about with your mother, which kind of leads us, it actually leads us into, it's funny, you don't even have my show notes, leads us into my first point here, which uh, kicks off our major point. Tonight's major point is, and, and all our major points are always brought to you by the P, power of the P. Tonight's major point is brought to you by the people, cigar people, the people who know everything about a lifetime of service. Protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times. Well, maybe it is, but behind the fun, is a motivation for service, a motivation for giving back from the original Protocol Blue to the latest release in the Lawman series, Bass Reeves. Protocol has always been about honor, passion, and yes, the people. It's what their life's work has been and always will be about. Power of the P, Protocol Cigars. So, Carlito, we, we were talking about your mother there, and that was something that I, and we'll certainly talk about your father, because how can we talk about Arturo Fuente Cigars without Carlos Fuente Sr.? tonight but i remember a story that you were talking about your first cigar you were talking about how you you took a cigar off of your father's uh, uh desk or credenza or something Russia, and yes. and uh you were always finding these hiding places and everything because you had to you had to hide from your mom because she had this incredible accuracy with her shoe or whatever that she would if you ever you did, did something she in trouble boomerang man <laughs> They call it La Chancleta, the Cubans, you know, the, the slipper with the house slipper, the, you know, the housewife. 
I don't know, man. Our house wasn't that big and you had little hallways, but I don't know how she did it. But I said, I start the minute that I started going, bending down to grab her slipper. I go around that corner. I don't know how she did it, but that zipper, that slipper would just go around. Boom. <laughs> she never missed. And you're right. You're right. Those are, it's all about memories and about love. And you're right. That's what cigars are about to me. So your, your, your parents were very young when they married, um, very young when they had you. Um, and, and so they kind of, they kind of, well, you obviously grew up entirely in the cigar industry. They kind of grew together in the cigar industry. What was, you know, was, was your mother, you know, was she involved, um, on the day-to-day factory? Was she, her responsibility, the home, you've always spoke of such fondness with your mom. And that's some, that's one of the stories that I want to talk about tonight, because I think we know, we know a lot about your father and rightfully so, but your mother played such an important part in your life and your inspiration. And, and so I just uh, um, wanted to know, like, what were some of her early roles within the company? Yes, of course, of course. And yes, she was instrumental to everything. She was the support of my father. And my father felt so, my father was, he was, you know, he's a Taurus, you know, born on May the 6th. But he's a raging bull. And when he sets his focus, his eyes on something, he's not going to give up. And that happened in his life with my mother. He saw her crossing the street. She was 14 years old and so was here. So was he. He was in the car on the side with my grandfather, Tudor Fuente. And my father says, dad, in Spanish, of course, Look at that young lady. Look at that lady. That's going to be my wife. Think about this. I mean, you can write stories about it. And my grandfather went, oh, yeah, you call me, me and uh, you punk. You know, what the hell are you talking about? You know, you learn how to wipe yourself first. You know, this and that. And about three or four weeks later, there, were, there used to be a lot of baseball uh, exchange or, uh, you know, between Tampa and Cuba because there was a big Cuban community and baseball was very big in Tampa. So the, it, the Havana, uh, whatever it was, would come to play the Tampa Smokers. That was the name of the team, the Tampa mm-hmm. Smokers. And my father went with his father, he used to go to ball games, to a game. And, you know, you had the right bleachers, the left bleachers. They were sitting on the left bleachers. And my father sees this lady from a distance with a red dress. She was with her father. And he found a way that he was going to go and grab a Coke or whatever this refreshment. He sat behind her and this and that, and he tried to call her attention. And when she turned around, finally, he says, hi, my name is, my name is Carlito. I'm Carlos in Spanish. And what's your name? And she just turned around and looked up and says, wouldn't you like to know? And she turned and just <laughs> ignoring him. My father went through school years, right? After looking for her, looking for her, well, finally, Listen, they had her, they met, they got to know each other. My grandparents on both sides did everything possible for them because they were too young. And as a matter of fact, we're talking about too young. The song of their wedding, their song, you know, everybody has their song is by Nat King Cole, Too Young. And um, and it brings back so many married. And and even though I was growing up that my mother used to sing that to my father, even when we when Cynthia and I and we were already adults, she still sang that to my father all the time. Too young, but they were married for 
60 something years before they both passed and they passed one after the other. But uh, my mom, to answer your question, well, my father, when they got married, they were too, they were too young and they needed to earn some money so they could start their own lives. My father was a baker. He worked in the bakery because my mother's family, they were all bakers, all her uncles, her father, they worked the bakeries. Back then it was wholesome bakery. Then it became Wonder Bread or whatever. And that was a very, very supposedly for working class. It was a very prestigious job, you know, working in the bakery and everything. So they got my father a job there at the bakery because he was going to marry, you know, my mom, he had to get work and so forth. Because my grandfather couldn't afford to hire him. He couldn't pay him enough. And, uh, you know, my, my grandfather was holding things together. So my father went to my uncle, Raul Garcia, who was the general manager foreman of Cuesta Ray before the Newmans bought Cuesta Ray. You know, the original Carl Cuesta and Angel Cuesta. My uncle was general manager. He went to my uncle and he says, Theo, uncle, uncle Raul, I want you to teach my wife. I want you to give my wife a job. That's how I started first. He goes, well, your wife went to school and she, you know, he gave her a job as a secretary. No, 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 no. I don't want her to be a secretary. I want you to teach her how to roll cigars because I'm going to need her to roll cigars for me because I'm going to make the bunch and she's going to roll cigars. And I'm going to someday... I'm going to take over my father's factory. She worked three years. I remember Bear going with an uncle of mine or something because my father was working around the clock and he never left the factory. He always was sent an uncle, his brother, or another uncle of his or a cousin. I remember going and waiting outside that factory, a little boy waiting to see my mother just to give her a hug when she walked out of that factory. I, you know, all those memories, so you're bringing them out, you know, I, I, I don't even like sometimes to really think about, but all those, my mother made cigars. And as soon as my father was able to acquire my grandfather's factory, my mom went by his side, made cigars with them. And then she ran the office for a long time. When they came to Dominican Republic, many, many years later, my mom was the one that ran the office to help my father, both of them together, because my father did everything. And um, she, I remember, and she always saying how, you know, you do payroll back then. It, now, today, you know, everybody has their bank accounts, it's digital. We don't even have pay, you know, we deposit it directly. The payroll goes to computers, to the bank. Everybody has their digital card, and it's so different. It used to be with cash. We had to go to the bank, so many fives, so many ones, so much change, so much this, and had to balance this and that. They do little envelopes. But, the, but people have to sign that they received it, acknowledge it. They didn't know how to sign their name. They would put crosses. My mom taught everyone in the factory how to sign their name in 1980. You know, yes, well, without my mom, we would, I wouldn't be here today where I'm sitting at the Dominican Republic. You know, because when my father says we have to go, my mom picked up her suitcase, left all her luxury she had in Florida, and, and she, listen, the sacrifices that my mom went through, you know, there's, there's, there's a truth to this great saying, behind every great man is a great woman. There's so much truth to that.
I, you know, hearing you talked about your mom and, and of course your father were so many conversations that I've heard and, and, and gratefully been a part of. There's, it, there's a lot of, it, it, you said that I bring out this nostalgic in you, you bring out a lot of this nostalgia in me too, because it, it, it reminds me so much of my mother and my mother's mother. Um, and uh, I'm still, I'm still fortunate. My mother is still alive. Um, but, uh, but my, but my grandmother has, has since passed on and there, there's so many like correlations and so many things like I could, I could see them, like I could see them almost being friends. Um, <laughs> no, my, I wouldn't doubt it. Cause my mom was friends with everybody. <laughs> she, she, she was, you know, it's, uh, listen, it's life and, uh, it's, it's, it's not my life. It's our life. It's all of us, you know, and I know so many people that same situation, you know, the mom, sometimes, you know, this, unfortunately, this is always the men get the recognition. So that was what used to be today. You see women getting recognition, and everything, but the women have always been there behind oh, all yeah. the men in the industry behind all of them. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the, one of the, great prides that I have about being a part of this industry is just seeing what an incredible role that that women have played in its history and continue to play in it today. Uh, you know, your mother, of course, and then your sister, and then of course, you know, Liana, uh, and all the amazing work that she has done for not just in this industry, but even outside of it, incorporating this industry into so many other, her, her great work, of course, with charity and things like that. Definitely. So, um, you know, it was that story about your your first cigar experience that uh, that kind of that kind of uh, also kind of got me thinking about my my first experience that my when my dad first found out that I had had a cigar and um, my dad was a cigarette smoker he was never a cigar smoker so it wasn't it wasn't quite uh, the acknowledgement you have but for a moment here just uh, talk about the uh, the look that he gave when he came in and he said to your mother he's like hey I had two cigars here what happened to him. What happened to one of them? And You're right. I can't believe you remember exactly. That is so true. That is so true. And that, when I mentioned that, I don't recall, but it had to be a year ago. I don't recall when someone asked me that. I haven't been asked that a long time, but you're absolutely right. There were two cigars on the dresser and I was curious. And one of the two, I remember the matches were Victorian or whatever, little small little matches. And I went to the garden or the little, it wasn't a garden, it was a flower bed. You know, from the wall of the house before the grass started, there might have been two and a half feet, you know, so you can put some flowers or whatever. And I remember going in a little corner and everything, hiding and lighting that cigar. I think I took a puff or two and then started coughing and said, oh shit. I will never be able to, you know, I'll never be a cigar maker or, or I don't <laughs> like this. It's terrible. How and I can't figure this out. And yes, and you're absolutely right. My father gets home. The minute that car started going around the corner, remember there wasn't a lot of traffic in those days and there were many cars and we, my father always had nice cars. And I go inside and you know, this and that I'm very quiet. I'm watching my cartoons or whatever it is this afternoon. And uh, I remember my father, because the house was small, you hear everything, everything was open, kind of. And he said, Anna, Anna, did you, anybody here today, you gave him one of my cigars? Where are my cigars? 
and my father went like that. He looked around and he kind of, I, I, I guess it was like, it was written all over my face. I thought I was getting my butt. He looked at me and gave me a certain look and he just walked away. And I, I think I, he had a smirk on his face, but he didn't <laughs> want to show me. But yes, that's, I can't believe Barry that you remember that story, man. You know, that's awesome, man. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. Carlito. This, no, it's, it's stories like this that are the, of why I, I have these conversations. I always, I always tell people all the time that the, the story, you know, I've, I've been pleased and very pleased and, and very, very fortunate over the years to have many, uh, interview many people and, and my show is about conversation. My show, I've always said that I'm more interested about the story behind the story. Um, and, you know, I'm fortunate to have an audience who, who feels the same way. Cause, um, it's stories like this that that I really just I really enjoy because it I mean, you said it yourself there that that's I laughed because you're like oh I'll never be I'll never I'll never make cigars and here we are uh, and and you're a legend in this business you're an icon and uh, I know a lot of that of course you tribute attribute always to your father always and uh, and it's it's funny that it started it started with you still off of his dress how old were you seven eight I, years old I could have been five or six maybe oh. one of, I don't know I was young because I don't think I was in school yet okay I'm maybe five years old or something five six I I grew quick <laughs> but yeah my I, I could have been six I don't think I was in school yet no because the time in the afternoon the day you know and plus I was just I was I was very young it's but I didn't smoke the cigar hey listen I didn't smoke the cigar okay I lit it I took a puff. I tried to take another puff and I just started choking and got ready to bury that <laughs> shit, man. It was, I said, I would never do this again. As long as I live, I can't figure it out. Why does grandfather, uncle, you know, everybody in the whole neighborhood. Remember I was born in a neighborhood where everybody enjoyed cigars, everybody, you know, if you were not a cigar, if you didn't enjoy cigars, you probably were kind of a weirdo who I grew up. It was everybody, everything was, it was the industry was all cigars, tobacco. People worked in tobacco. You know, the barber that cut your hair was smoking a cigar, is cutting your hair, you know? Mm -hmm. It's the guy filling the, the guy, because back then it wasn't self-service. You had to go to a gas station and they filled it up. I remember my father always had a bunch of cigars in his pocket. Brevas, you know, not, not what we do. And he always had a bunch of cigars. And the guy in the gas station, he gave him cigars. And I remember he would say, listen, the extra gallon is on me. But he's smoking a cigar. The owner of the gas station is pumping gas, smoking a cigar. It's the way it was. Nobody thought any different. I'm right. sure that when they delivered me, the, the doctor probably was smoking a cigar. Probably. It was, it, it was not unusual. It was not. It was not unusual. Probably. Well, it's, it's funny because you're, you're talking about like you were, you know, five, six years old or whatever. So it meant your dad was in his early 20s, right? So, and we talked about how he was 18 years old, just about to turn 19. He was a week away from turning 19 when you were born. And that's, see, I, you were much braver than me because you had your first cigar experience when you were a child. I, I felt like was, I was a child. I felt on my 18th birthday. Mine was not a good experience. Okay, let's make it clear. <laughs> that's true. I didn't. Mine I did was not better. Light a cigar for many years after that again. 
Yes, my first cigar experience was was much more enjoyable than yours. It's what it's what actually led us here today because uh, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was 18 though, I was a legal adult, um, and I I had my first cigar on my 18th birthday back when it was legal to smoke on your when you were 18, and uh, <laughs> I uh, and I at even then even then as an adult <laughs> as a young adult, I I uh, I remember I remember splashing my clothes with cologne. I remember driving home with my my shirt out the window so that the air would try to get this because I didn't want my mom or dad to know that I had smoked a cigar. And I mean, it was it was dedication. I got to tell you. Um, And and years and years. And my parents, my parents knew everything about me. They, They knew every every time I did something. And and it was it was it shocked me when I told them for the first time that I had that I, I had smoked cigars and I enjoyed it. And they're like, when, when have you smoked cigars? And I said, well, I smoked one on my birthday and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what? We, we never knew that. And I was like, wow, I got, I got away with it. That's fantastic. Like, <laughs> um, but it's, 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 it's incredible to kind of like reflect on these moments and stuff around the same time and how lives were different. Even we're separated by a generation, obviously, but it, you know, the, don't bring it up, <laughs> but it's, it's still, it's so beautiful to me. That's what I love about this industry. How, how it was so much a part of the community. It wasn't just your family. It was everyone's family. I'd like and, to share something. With, no, go on, please. I'm sorry. No, please. No, that, that was the end of my point. Please. You sure. mentioned that about, you know, and, and I'm very careful and try to do the right thing. I don't, I never, really smoke cigars around my younger children uh indoors you know we were we're we're in a different world and it's different situations but you got to understand too where i was raised everybody smokes cigars i was thinking you brought me back to a memory that i have forgotten all about i have forgotten all about it in the packing department on the first floor of my grandfather's factory there was a big illustration, a big one, like a cartoon drawn and everything, but it was really cool. And I used to look at it all the time. And there was this very well-dressed dapper gentleman putting a cigar in a little boy's mouth and lighting it in very Cuban humor. Okay. Because it was Cuban, but it's saying smoke, young man, smoke. The cigar is the only thing that distinguishes man from all other animals. That's how I was raised. <laughs> and you know, you think about it. Cigar, what other what other mammals smoke cigars? So it keeps <laughs> and that's I mean, that was the culture. Think about it. That was the culture that I grew up in. It was all, mm-hmm. and I'm sure not only me, many families that come from that culture. You know, there's many people today that they're and they were raised the same. And you know what? All their grandfathers lived to be 85 or 90. You know, they're all, not all of them, of course, but the grand majority of it. And they all live life and they all love family. And, you know, those are some of the things that, I don't know, it's, uh, I guess it's catch 22 or some of the things that, that is hard for me to, to comprehend, decipher, whatever, however you say it. Why is it that, you know, why isn't it we're not allowed to enjoy an adult product 
and make our choices and be able to enjoy a cigar, even if it's in a place that it's intended to enjoy cigars with regulations, with uh, with the air and, and certain things, but you know that's that that's really the the that is the nightmare that I live every day. What we're going through, and I don't want to go into a negative thing. We're talking about family, talking about stories, yeah. but it's absolutely crazy, man, crazy. There's so many things going on in this world, so much good that needs to be done. And people want to take away a right to enjoy a cigar. It doesn't make sense. Um, aside from the movie, Cape Fear, I have never known or never heard of a, a, a vicious person that's a, that's a cigar connoisseur. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All the contrary, cigar, people who love cigars are loving people. They are people who love people. They enjoy cigars they, because they met him. They learn to enjoy cigars through other people and they love people and they want to get together with people. And, you know, my friend, we just got to keep doing whatever we feel in our hearts. And um, I know we're not alone. I'm sure we're not alone. So you, so kind of fast forward a little bit here in the story and, you know, you, you go, you know, you go into business with your father, but it's it, 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 it's a little bit of a different track. Well, first of all, your your father buys the company for a dollar from, from yes. his brother, from his brother. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he continues to build it. Now, keep in mind that the beginning of this story starts with your grandfather, who was his dream to own his own factory. He comes here from Cuba and he settles in Tampa um, and he 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 lives the dream. 500 people working and and then of course the uh, horrific fire um while he's actually in cuba buying tobacco and um and then kind of years go by and then he starts again in his house and that's when of course uh you know your father takes over uh after becoming a baker after he got married to your mom yes and uh and then uh he you know, he, he builds this company up and then he goes, he, then he starts going to all these different countries to find, you know, to, to find the next place after the, uh, after the embargo. So, I mean, he, he spent time in Mexico, Puerto Rico, mm -hmm. and then um, settles in Nicaragua. And we, uh, we all know what happens there, unfortunately. And now there's this, this small little part of history um, where, and I, I was thinking about this journey of, of all the countries that the Fuente family has been a part of. You, you, you guys have run the table on cigar producing countries. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's, you pretty much touched them all. I mean, I would say with what Costa Rica, maybe being the exception. Yes. Yes. You're right. Costa Rica is the exception. Uh, I think my father, you know, I was in Honduras, Dominican Republic, um, Puerto Rico, with my father, but, my father was in Mexico and Jamaica, actually, for sure. He, he went to investigate in Jamaica. We had cigars made. Our first venture was with Mexico. And we had cigars made in Mexico for us and everything. Of course, my father's supervision. Uh, but it just didn't work out. And we tried and tried. The cigars in Mexico was a different time, I think. And uh, our market, 
was not our market with it was a cuban market traditionally my father my grandfather sold the neighborhood you know it was local and then miami with all the cubans came and then new jersey union city you know new york the, but that was it and then um as we started spreading out to other markets, though, first of all, let me go back. Those cigars that we were making in Mexico, we we introduced them in uh, in those markets. They were too expensive because they were used to the bundles, casadores, fumas, and everything. But they also they were today they would be a big hit because they were solid cigars, solid. You touch them, they were solid, they were heavy, they were solid, but they drew. But the Cuban market were used to touching spongy cigars and that's how they judge if they were fresh or so forth. And they were complaining that they were too dry. And they weren't dry, they were made solid. It was a different mm -hmm. cigar. And it was a bad time for us, yeah. Everything. It was, everything was different. And today would have been extremely successful, but at that time, in the very you know late sixties, early seventies, just didn't work. But you know, then we we were Nicaragua. Yes, Nicaragua. We we arrived, We got to Nicaragua in nineteen seventy four. But in nineteen seventy eight, the shit hit the fan. And you know, people think about Nicaragua what it is today. Today, all the there's hundreds. I think of factory. I don't know how many, but there's a lot between big and small and everything. A lot of factories. When we were in Nicaragua, there was only four factories in Nicaragua. Four. Mm -hmm. So most of those factories, Hoya, Nicaragua, those belong to the government. Padron, René Garcia Pulido, in the factory that we were involved with, that we were partners with, Juan Francisco Benmejo and Funticiella, Fernando Funticiella. That factory was when we arrived there it was already called Don Victor. Don Victor, because that was the lawyer who set up the company, they called it the Victor, whatever it was. There were four factories. And uh, when that revolution started, shit hit the fan, we lost everything. From there, we went to Honduras. Uh, we, even, we even registered a company in Honduras. We were, I mean, uh, a lot of ventures, you know, a lot of, we were different people and trying to recover. And we even got to the point with uh, Julio Doa. We we're going to be partners with uh, Julio Doa. I mean, really, Julio is like family and really great man and everything, one thing and another. And then he had a fire. And um, in, in the factory that we were going to be getting involved with, making, he was making us cigars so we could recover after Nicaragua and that fire, big fire in uh, Don Lee right by the theater, which was owned by his wife's family and so forth. But you know, one thing left another. Then my father said, man, you know what? He, the Dominican Republic, the opportunity came up. The mm -hmm. governor, I mean, the president of the Dominican Republic with the governor of Florida back then was promoting or trying to bring in industries to the free zone. There was foreign investment opportunities, and then you had the Caribbean Basin incentive uh, from Ronald Reagan to give you an incentive to come and to, to invest and build our neighboring countries so that they could have the economy and they could buy American products. And uh, my father tried to come to the Dominican Republic before we went to Nicaragua and they made his life impossible. Um, we have a, uh, my cousin passed away, but 
Orlando Garcia, we have a brand called Flor Orlando. Orlando Garcia was a sales manager for Balsan. And uh, he's my father's cousin, my mother's first cousin. And we used to go visit him in Cuba and so forth. And he was one of the first to leave Cuba during the revolution after revolution. And he went to Miami and we set up land products. And um, well, 2226 Southwest 8th Street. That's, that was the address. I remember making all the cases, shipping cigars. Number one brand in Miami was a brand called Moya. Popular price cigar, but it was Moya. Huge. And but anyway, Orlando and my father were very, very close partners. And he travels to the Dominican Republic for vacation. He was friends with the Fonhoos, who owned all the sugar. And then it was golf and Western back then and all that. And I see Jose Blanco. Why is he coming up on my screen, man? This ruined my <laughs> night. What time is it where he's at? Holy shit. But hey, Papo, go to sleep. Feed the ducks. <laughs> but he comes to the Dominican Republic and everything on a vacation. And he comes back and he calls my father. He says, Carlito. My father, they called him Carlito before, before me. Little Carlos. And he says, they're making cigars in the Dominican Republic. And they're really, really well made. They're good cigars. Mm -hmm. He went to La Romana. He said, there's a future there. It looks just like Cuba. It's the island of Canoe Paddle Way. The palm trees, everything. The, it's the same soils and everything. It's, it's the Caribbean. And he brought, you know what box that was? I remember that it was La Aurora Number no. 4. And had the, I even remember smoking it. Burn white. Can't remember wrapper, of course. Mm -hmm. Burn white, very nice. Just that, but the cigar was beautifully constructed. The band was beautiful packaging. And my father immediately went to La Romana, which was a free zone. They were just establishing a free zone and tried to set up the factory. This is before Nicaragua. They made his life impossible. There's no way they let him in, that he couldn't come, that no, 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 tobacco, this and that. But what we didn't know, what my father didn't know at that time is that La Romana, owned by Golf and Western, had bought their own factory Menendez and Garcia, which is Tabacalera Garcia, today, they were not going to allow anybody else, anybody come to their territory to make cigars. So after that big disappointment, we didn't know at that time, that was way before Tabacalera Garcia actually started. It was a couple of years before we went to Nicaragua. And uh, after the revolution in Nicaragua, going to Honduras and doing everything, we tried in Tampa again, training people, you know, again, some of but it was very, very difficult for any kind of big production in Tampa. And eventually my father says, if we're going to stay in the business, there's only one place I will, I, I will live in, I really live. I love it. It reminds me of my heritage of Cuba. It is a bit of people are good. The only place I will go is the Dominican Republic. But son, if you want this and this is your life and you really want this, you have to move there. We have to move there. We cannot do this like Nicaragua someplace else, go back and forth. We have to move and make this our life. That, you know, I was in a band. I played in a band. I had a Porsche. My wife back then had a Jaguar. You know, we lived in Tampa. You know, I was a Tudor Fuentes grandson, you know. And it was a different. She said, We're gonna, we came here without nothing. Because you cannot be around here with a fancy car when there were no, not many cars in the road and everything and just put an alert sign. They were very, very difficult days, very difficult days. We didn't even have a telephone. 
Uh, we didn't have running water. We had to get water. This, I mean, they were, well, you talk about moms and wives and women. Well, my mom went through, my father would have never survived if she didn't give him the support. Those were very, very, not, but let me just say something, Bear. I'm telling you because today I couldn't physically, mentally, I could not survive what we went through in 1980. But in 1980 to 81, in this little house with a seven foot ceiling, flat cement roof, when that sun hit it, we were cooking inside. There was no air conditioning. <laughs> Half the day, there was no electricity. That was the happiest time of my life. My grandmother used to come, my aunt, my uncle, my godfather. We had mattresses thrown all over every little space. And we were happy. We were happy. We had a little Datsun, a little station wagon, a little Datsun, eight people inside the car to go. We laughed. <laughs> we laughed. We were happy. We stopped and we get beers. You know, the white, the beer, the Vestila uh, Novia, you know, dressed like a bride, frosted in the bag. We're laughing. And we go, oh, man. You can have a beer and you're driving, and this is great, man. This is freedom. <laughs> you know, everything is relative in life. But that's why I said, yeah, you know, difficult times, and they were, they were the happiest times of my life. And I today I couldn't do it. I, I don't think physically, mentally, everything, you know, you we get ruined in life. And and that leads into other conversations, you know. What what I lived. It's hard for, how could, I, I don't want other people to live the same thing I live, but I know that that is part of the learning experience. That is part of what makes me what I am. You know, I don't want that my son or my daughter to go through that, but yet I know that it's a mistake because that's necessary for them and all the younger generation to have to really have that drive, that one, and go through those things. And you know what? We all survive. And that's part of who we are today. That is the information in our blank slate in our computer, all those stories, all those experiences, everything we lived in life. Being in Nicaragua when I was 17 years old, without any electricity in the middle of Jalapa, you know, with the greatest, greatest of the great tobacco farmers of Cuba who are all gone, the stories they used to tell me, the experiences, that's, that's like today, it's not, that's not my everyday life. But now with you, Bear, you bring out that in me and the stories. And every once in a while, the stars line up, as you said earlier, and those mm -hmm. stories are the ones that inspire me, motivate me, or, or light a spark or a candle to give me an idea to do something. It's what I am. But also, that is why I can never forget where I come from. And we should never forget all those greats that today, what I'm passing on to our team and every, all, everything that I really, that's my goal in life, pass on everything I learned from somebody else. I wasn't born with that information. Somebody else taught me. Some good giving soul taught me. And I think that's very, very important. You know, I believe so strongly as an industry, as one, we're all one, journalism, retailers, tobacco growers, manufacturers, 
lovers of the leaves, sisters or brothers, or we're all one. And I think that um, we have to protect this beautiful world that we're part of. We have to protect. And I go back to that because I live that beautiful world. I live that history. And I know, I know, I know, because for the last 10 years, we probably, we, I say we, a group of my colleagues and myself spend more time going to Washington, worried about raising money to pay legal fees, doing it to save an, to save an industry and save everything I'm talking to you about. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's, it's, and if it's gone, it's gone. Then what we're going to do, we're gonna, uh, so what? Most people, they're going to do something else. They're going to sell Ouija's or widgets, whatever you call the clean windows, or they'll figure something else, you know, or they'll sell vitamins, you know, vegetables and the fruit, you know, capsules and, and things to sell, you know, they'll, they'll figure out something to do. But there's people who have given their lives for this and who are fighting to give everybody else, all the young entrepreneurs that we need so badly in this industry to give them an opportunity to live their dream also. And to me that, to, I, I don't know how I got into the subject, but I guess, you know, you, you're, you know, this is a conversation, right? And, and my, my momentum is starting to go and my heart is starting to pump and I'm really getting excited. And I'm what is really burning inside of me? How can we bring our industry together and be all one and everybody benefit? No, I think, you know, just to jump on the soapbox there with you, Carly, do I think there's the, the, I, I think what we're talking about tonight is exactly what we're talking about protecting. And, you know, with these, these, if you can even call them, well, you can't call them lawmakers because they're not, um, even though they're making laws, but that's another, uh, that's another discussion. But the, the point is, is that the, the threatening, the threats that threaten this industry threaten exactly what we were talking about earlier. If we don't document this history, if we don't keep telling this story, it could be gone. And, if, you know, the, the Fuente family is perseverance defined. You know, we talked about your grandfather. He lived the dream, exactly what he wanted to do. He came to, he came to Tampa, opened a cigar factory, 500 people, lost it all, started again. The end of his life turned it over, what I'm sure was part of that dream, turned it over to your father who, I mean, we, we don't think of 1980. I mean, yeah, if you put a number on it, yes, it's 40 years ago, but it wasn't that long ago with the same, on the same breath. And you guys started anew, driving around and like this, and the Datsun you were talking about and, and throwing mattresses for visiting family on the floor, doing it all together, no electricity to and then for in, in 40 short years, yes, 40 years is a long time, but in 40 short years, look at what you've built again as a family. It's, it's, it's not just once, and that's the thing I love about your story, Carlitos, it's not just one story. It's, a, it's this collection of so many that, that kind of put together this, this, this saga. Of, and it's very familiar of other, indus, you know, of other stories too. You know, you mentioned colleagues like, um, Julio Arroa, you know, fire there too as well. And he's had his, he's had his battles um, to get where his, you know, where he's at today. You know, Jorge Padron, who I know you're very close to, his father, what he had to endure, 
you know, there's, there's these, there was a lot of, with all the joy, and we talked a lot about the joy, you know, the legacy of your family and everything. There's a lot of pain. <laughs> there's a lot of pain. And, and it's, it's all kind of culminated into this, this, this wonderful and rich, uh, rich story that, and, and such a vibrant part of this industry. The, the question that I wanted to ask here was, you know, as, as you kind of stand, and I, I remember you using this metaphor before, um, well, we're certainly never, we're certainly not prepared to say goodbye or anything like that. You've, you certainly have many years left, but as you said once, you, it, you're on, the hourglass is, is reversed now. There's, there's much more sand in the bottom than there is in the top. I remember you saying that. Yeah, and the um, gravity is pulling, it's pulling, man, it's pulling. As you look back at new, new, as you look now at the landscape of the cigar industry and a lot of new, the new generation, including your own family, like Liana, for instance. Um, what do you think your grandfather would think if he saw all, everything that, that you've created and then and with context prevailing, like everybody else that's kind of joined the story in their own way, with their own stories, but they're all part of the same story. No, I have no doubt my grandfather's looking down and smiling. I have no doubt. I love that man. He was everything to me. I loved him so much. You have to understand that my father, Hammy, was very young. And my father was working 18, 20 hours. I mean, seriously, <laughs> so many hours. Uh, there are stories about my father used to not ever go, not go home for a long time and sleep on bales and take showers where they wet the tobacco they say case in the industry will wet the tobacco so don't people think it's casing is something different i love my grandfather so much you gotta understand my grandfather raised me and my grandfather was a storyteller not my father was not my father was a worker a doer and a thinker my grandfather was a storyteller he would spend his entire day telling me stories of cuba and talking to me about tobacco and talking about so many things and telling and making sure that I would never forget because I was in Florida, Tampa, Florida, that the sky in Cuba is if when I go to Cuba, I'm going to see the most bluest skies of blue. And at night, I'm never going to see another sky like the skies of Cuba, the stars. My grandfather never been to Arizona at night or anything like that. So, you know, <laughs> but it was nostalgia, okay? Nostalgia, everything. They were so proud. And that they instilled that in me as very young. Being proud, being proud of who you are, being proud. You know, the only thing my grandfather did not tell me, but I figured that out later on, is that Christopher Columbus was actually Cuban. He wasn't Italian or from Spain. He was Cuban. He knew the route. He went from Cuba to fall in, you know, to he gets the, the Queen Isabel to fall in love with him, to get money, to get rich and everything. It was all a, it was all a trick. It was all the whole, Christopher Columbus was Cuban. It was Cuban. There's nobody from Europe will be smart enough to know how to cross the Atlantic and get to the Caribbean. He was a Cuban. My grandfather never told me that. But from every story, he told me everything in Cuba was bigger and better and bigger and better. And, you know, that's part of the Cuban culture. And you see it from everybody. Mm -hmm. Today, 
I don't see things that way. And that's why, for example, I knew we could grow great tobacco in the Dominican Republic in Chateau de la Fuente. They grow tomatoes and Epcot in the air. It's people. You have to have the soil. But tell me something. It's an island, a canoe paddle away. The pineapples are unbelievable. The mangoes and this and that. What was the reason? These are just the things that, thinking of how I grew up and everything. Because my grandfather told me everything Cuba was better. And being raised in the United States and traveling, I realized, no. You make it better wherever you're at. And, um, you know, that's it. Imagine, Bear, if I didn't have all these stories and all these things that motivate me, that's all part of why I did certain things or why not. And I don't think I, I've been successful. I think I got a lot more that I have to do in my life. But what would my grandfather think? Yeah, man, my grandfather would be looking down and saying, come on, we build a, a storybook a storybook plantation with palm trees as we were, if we would have been acute. What I envisioned the stories my grandfather mentioned to me, that doesn't exist in Cuba. Mm -hmm. Go to any, it doesn't, but that's what my grandfather told me was beautiful. And I love my grandfather so much. I wanted, it's a, it's a movie set, but it wasn't there. It's like Disney, build it, you build it. Like Vegas, it was a desert. They build it. And through a lot of struggles and obstacles, today it's a storybook, but it was built. But it was mm -hmm. built out of heart, passion, love, respect, and wanted to please my grandfather. When you come, you will see there are even symbols on the ground done with stones and everything to nourish my grandfather in the heavens. I'm not bullshitting you, I'm telling you. And you come and see it. I believe in that. I'm old school, I believe in that. I believe that it takes more than just great soil than hard work to produce great tobacco. You gotta have all the stars lined. you gotta have the spiritual help because tobacco is something, it's magical, but more than that, it takes something, it takes something, nature has to be on your side. Mm -hmm. And you can never control it. So whenever you do anything in life, this is not a adding machine. Whenever you do anything in life that is intangible, that you just can't grab as art, you need all the elements, you know? It's not only hard work, a little knowledge or whatever, good experience. You need to have also the inspiration and motivation of those powers that we don't that we don't control the powers from above. You come to the farm and you will see, you mentioned my grandfather, what would he think? There's symbols everywhere to pay tribute to him, everywhere that he's watching from above. I believe in that. You know, we've mentioned several people tonight that you've kind of brought into this, this not, not just your story, but the Fuente family, the Fuente story. We've, we mentioned Jeremiah uh, Mirafel, his brother, his father before him, um, that became a part of it. And uh, you uh, uh, read some a little bit earlier, but we've got Jose Blanco who's in the room right now. I think he wants to say hi. Jose, if you're there, you can uh, certainly say hi. Uh, and uh, and uh, good morning, I guess, where you're at. Feed the ducks. <laughs> I don't know. I just see must, his name. You, I, I know you must be standing by, but yeah. 
but there's been others that you've brought into the the, the, the Fuente family too. And so I've always wanted to ask. The Auras, the Newmans, La Placencias, yeah. the Olivas. It's just on and, you know, so many. And everybody's story is the same. They all, they all were pioneers. They went through hell. They lost everything and they built it again. There's so many of them. The two rents, everybody, but I'm talking about the, the Cubans that left Cuba. Mm-hmm. You know, that that today they were the pioneers here in Dominican Republic. They were the pioneers in Nicaragua and Honduras, of course. And um, you know, well, anyway, I have to speak about them because they are my mentors, they were my teachers, and you know, they're part of my life. That's my story. I'm sure there's a lot of beautiful stories in other languages, and you know other things, but I'm just talking about my story and all these great people who had an impact on my life, who have been my professors in one way or another, all of them, all of them, all of them in Tampa. You talk about the great Stanford Newman, Frankie Anessa. It just goes on and on. So many wonderful people, brokers. These people knew tobacco. People that came to brought tobacco told me about this and that and you know, it's incredible. Hey, look at him. He was he was blow drying his hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta have a good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh it's five something here. I don't know how long you guys have been Man. on because I I think I might have put the uh, alarm on uh, right. But look, listening to you, Carlito, and uh I know there's more you're gonna touch about a subject that we had on our show last night because you know, this industry that uh so many people have you know given their lives to your family, the Padrons, the Olivas, the Leon, uh, the Alberto Tufren, Don Angel Oliva. I mean, so many people have dedicated their lives. Jeremiah's family, which I, I think I hope Jeremiah is uh, is listening, and I sent him uh, the link he could get on because if there's somebody that really today we enjoy. In my humble opinion, my two cents, the greatest rapper in the world is because of Rick Marafel and Jeremiah and Josh and what they've done to continue to keep this going. And it's really sad to see how just a, a very small group of people have not thought this out, that the FDA is breathing down on us and what has an industry that's been around since Columbus, well, some people, you said in Jeremiah that I was on the same and Jay Davis that I was on that boat that I was proud to come on uh, with Columbus smoking I don't know at that time what it was but to see it just go away the hours and uh, and the sweat blood and tears that many of you and I used to go to Washington too remember that was years and years ago to fight millions of dollars spent to all of a sudden the FDA look at this and say poof it's gone because you guys told us one thing and others did another thing. So, Carlito, uh, I know that uh, you're very passionate about it. I'm I'm glad you're here with Bear today. I think Bear is one of those people that really, really uh, does an amazing job. And I think the ghost out of I don't know where is is showing (laughs) up. uh, Jeremiah Marifel, I think it is. I'm not sure. Yeah, he's in, he's in a massage parlor right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I, I was, man. But when, when I heard Jose was on the show, 
I had to get numbnuts too over here immediately because we're not letting that guy off the hook. I can tell you. No, no, no. <laughs> Let me tell you something. He's too he's too strong for me alone. So please, thank you. <laughs> But anyway, uh, I know, Bear, that uh, this is a subject. I'm sorry that I jumped in this way, but I just I had to say something about no, this absolutely. because this is this has been uh, eating me up. And yesterday, a lot of people after the show said, man, Jose Blanco was on fire. This is not about being on fire. Look, I'm fucking sorry about I, I never used this word. I'm 72 years old. I've been smoking for 56 years. I have. If you were to cut my veins, I, I'm not going to bleed. I think the same thing happens to uh, Jeremiah and to Carlito and to many of us. We don't bleed blood. We bleed essential oils. We have passion for this. We have love for this. This has been part of our lives. But Jeremiah and Carlito more. But after smoking for 56 years and having the privilege to work with four great family-owned companies, and now at the end of my career, to be able to work with Carlito and to Jeremiah, you don't know what it means to me. And I will do everything that's possible with my heart and my soul and my voice to keep this industry going. Because I believe in this industry. I believe in the people in it. We're a very, very unique industry. And I pray to God that I can be healthy for eight or 10 years more. Be at, at Carlitos and Jeremiah's side and the Fuentes side and preach about our industry, what we're about. We're not bean counters. We're tobacco people that love, smell, and touch tobacco. We are one. Until the industry, retailers, and consumers don't understand that we are one, we will not survive. Look, if anything happens, Carlito and his family will be well. Jeremiah and his family will be well. The Patron will be well. A lot of people will be well. But a lot of people will be screwed. And you know who are going to get screwed more than anybody else? is those retailers that put so much work, so much effort to stay. So retailers listened to an old man that came here 500 years ago. Unite. Don't be reactive. Be proactive. Let us defend the greatest industry in the world. So as I always finish on Meet the Professor, those are mis dos centavos. In English, my two cents. Bear, always great to see you. I'll be on the show, but I think my good friend and ball buster number two, because Carlitos, well, when it comes to ball busting, really, Jeremiah's number one and Carlitos <laughs> two, but I'm going to leave him the title away from you, Carlito. Look at that. No, man, please. No, listen, I, I will, I'll never show up again or meet the professor. If you downgrade me, you demote me like that. And there's no freaking way. I'm ball okay. buster number one. Okay. Let's okay. Get clear. Okay. And I'm not number one. So that is my, my two cents. And I had to say something because yeah, listen, uh, very well said, Jose, I appreciate your passion. You're absolutely right. But every single word you said, you're absolutely right. hundred percent. And you know what, Jose? I really, I, I am certain that there's so many people who say you're absolutely right, but we need them to step up and say that. They just stay quiet. They're waiting for somebody else to resolve the problem. Uh, they don't want to step on anybody's toes. They don't want to get involved. And that's what's going to take the industry down. We have to unite and we have to, listen, like you said before, Jose, are you with us or you are you are you not? 
it's really it's coming down to that line because judgment day will come. It will come. It will. It will. And uh, I mean, I don't have that much to add to what was just said because I think Jose wrapped it up pretty good. But at the end of the day, the retailers and the consumers have a big part of this as well. We've always said this. And, you know, they have the power to decide what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, we're, we're here to um, we're here to help everybody realize that certain things are very wrong. The FDA is coming after us. They're coming after everything. And we all know that one of the major, major weaknesses that uh, they're, they're going to try to put forward, which is absolutely false, is that the industry is targeting young people. And uh, we got to make sure that they never, ever, ever find the, the least excuse that this premium cigar industry is targeting young people, which is not. And we got to make sure collectively as retailers, as consumers, as manufacturers, as tobacco growers, that nobody slips. Nobody makes a stupid mistake because there's not going to be any tolerance in mistakes. And we got to remind everybody to stay in line and uh, to keep their eyes open because this is not a joke. There's too much in this for everybody, for the consumers, number one, because at the end of the day, even us manufacturers and tobacco growers, we're consumers before anything. We enjoy our premium cigars. That's why we're doing what we're doing because we go home at night and we light up and we, and we, we, reminisce of the times with our fathers and our grandfathers and our great grandfathers. This is what it's all about. And when we go to our tobacco farms or we walk into our factories, we usually do it with a cigar in our mouth. And that's, that's what gives us the drive. So we just wanna make sure that we just keep reminding each other what's right, what's wrong, and that we're not gonna have three strikes, we're out on this one. We're gonna have one. So let's not fuck up. Back to uh, Carlito, because this is his show, and it's about time I put Jose to bed. <laughs> Jeremiah, if you will, I would like to ask you a question, because it, kind of, it kind of goes along with what we were talking about with the family story of Carlito. And you, the Mirafell family plays a, plays a big part. You guys have kind of inner, are this, this interwoven, wonderful tapestry that, that kind of sits on top of this this industry that we love so much and that you guys have talked so beautifully about tonight with such passion and such vigor when you know if as you reflect back on your father's time and the the Mirafell family and how it's kind of coincided with the Fuente family and told this beautiful story and I know I know Jose was fired up enough for all of us but like you said there's not enough fire to what the fire that we need to have what would you say is is what would you say is is probably your fondest memory of the fact of of being part of that of the Fuentes being part of the Mirafell story and the Mirafells being part of the Fuente story what's your what's your favorite part of that so that's it's impossible to answer I mean I don't I don't remember a moment in my life when the Fuente family wasn't part of it um from the minute from my my oldest memories growing up as a as a as a young child um Carlito and his father, Carlito's daughters, his son later, Cynthia. I mean, the entire family was part of our family, directly and indirectly. I don't remember a single summer of my life when I wasn't hanging out at the factory working or Carlito wasn't with my father somehow, somewhere, um, where Cynthia wasn't taking care of me, where Don Carlos, Carlos Sr. wasn't, you know, 
chasing after me, making sure that I wasn't doing stupid shit. Um, there is no memory professionally or personally where the Fuentes are not part of it somehow, somewhere. And, you know, in the best moments of my life, they were there. Every single one of them, from my wedding to, you know, my birthdays to you name it. Mm -hmm. And in the worst moments in my life, they were there. From my father's funeral to, you know, when, when Cameroon was on its knees and, you know, drowning to, you know, when I lost my mom a few months ago. There's, there's not a single moment in my life, up or down, left or right, when, when the, the Fuente family wasn't there. So there, I mean, it's, it's a question which, which is like asking me, do I remember what oxygen I'm breathing at what moment? Because that's literally what it is. This is not, you know, I, when I speak about the Fuente family, just saying the word Fuente, it sounds weird because I should just take it away. It's, for, it's family. It's family in every which way, shape, or form. And I think that explains a lot. It explains a lot in, in terms of who I've grown up to be. It explains a lot in terms of what I'm fighting for. It explains a lot in terms of how I'm modeling the future of my own children. And that says a lot. Because at the end of the day, there is, a, you called it a web or an intertwined relationship. I think that uh, that's spot on. I think that, it, you know, I think that there's something which is, you know, Carlito was looking for a word earlier on. He was talking about, about some, a force from above. And, and that force from above there is divinity. It's a divine presence. It's a divine force. And whether we're talking about divinity in our passion or divinity in the connections between human beings, that divinity is certainly um, the fairy dust which has caused people to, to be absorbed one through the other and one with the other in ways which reason doesn't explain. Absolutely. All true. And Carlito, as we reflect on your film, thank you, Jeremiah. And thank you both to you and Jose for joining us tonight. What a momentous occasion. My, you know, my 200th milestone show and to have the three of you on, um, this is, this is uh, unex unexpected surprise for everyone out there. This was not planned. So this was a wonderful, wonderful fortuitous moment, but Carlito, well, we've bear, spent... bear, before, before I, 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 I bring, before I bring uh, Jose to bed, because Jose, it's, it's past your bedtime, brother. I, mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know, man. You, you look, you, you <laughs> but before that, I, I, uh, I have to, first of all, take my hat off and, and, and congratulate you because bringing Carlito on for, for the, for, for this moment and, and this moment in your show um, makes perfect sense to me and to Jose, but probably to everybody else out there watching and whoever will be watching this. You know, people call him the toy maker. People call him Willy Wonka. People call him, you know, Jack Sparrow. Whatever you call him, call him Carlito Fuente. But whatever you call him, the person you've brought on today is without a doubt 
the craziest, most genius, most out of this world cigar maker that our industry has ever seen. And um, I think that nobody's ever gonna forget that. Now it's time to put Jose to bed. Listen, I want to say one last thing. Uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on your 200th show. I've said it. I've known you for many, many years. I think you're part of the young generation. Honest uh, person on, on cigar media. Very talented, great palate. But most of all, very uh, honest and sincere. And you research and you do your homework. Uh, this, uh, nobody knew that the three of us were going to be there. I even sent the link a little bit late. I got to be honest to Jeremiah. But we wanted to surprise Carlito, but we also wanted to give support to you. Because I think that people like you make a huge difference in our industry. And we count on your honesty and the way you look at things totally outside the box. Being very independent, not being biased. You could like me more than Jeremiah and Carlitos, understandable, because I look better than the two of them. But, 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 but at the end of the day, uh, congratulations. Keep up the great work. To me, it's been an honor and a pleasure to be with Numbnuts 1, Numbnuts 2, and of course with you, Bear. I will continue to keep on hearing. It's not my bedtime. It's, it's Jeremiah's bedtime, for sure. And Carlito, he doesn't sleep. I call him the vampire. So... Guys, it's been a pleasure. Jeremiah, Carlito, Bear, good night. And to everybody listening, please unite. Remember, we are one. God bless everyone. God bless our country and God bless our troops. Good night. Good night. Thank you. All Thank right. You. Love you. Have a great Love show, you. Carlito, Bear. Thank you. That was awesome. Love you, Jeremiah. Thank you, Jose. Love you all. Bye-bye. Wow. Wow, that was powerful, my friend. Carlito, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes, I can. You hear me? Bear, do you hear me? Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Do you hear me? Okay. Yes, yes, yees. Okay, good. good. It, it wouldn't be a milestone show on LLS Fumar Takes without a technical mishap, so. <laughs> of course, man, of course. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Well, what a, what a wonderful surprise to have those two on. And uh, I think um, the, with the passion and vigor that they spoke with, and, and I'm very grateful to both of them. They're very kind words, very humbling. Um, 
it's i mean it just it just goes to show what we were just talking about carlito before they came on about the the importance of of your family story and and what you've done for this industry and everything i i would like to take this moment to kind of go into this uh this next topic here that i was uh, planning on and that of course is to um you already talked about the birth of hemingway at the top of the show um which was i would say is like you said you you've said it was like the catalyst that kind of got things going uh into this 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 new era of of fuente cigars but then there was another moment as well. Probably the one that's that's more infamous, I should should say. And that, of course, is the birth of Opus. And I'm I'm really interested to kind of dive back into this because you know, you guys had uh, you guys would always bring retailers down to Chateau de la Fuente and you would show them everything. And it was it was one man who ushered in the next era of Fuente cigars, a Mr. Matur, who came to Chateau Fuente and said, oh, this is, I mean, it, I mean, talk about the world's most backhanded compliment, I guess. <laughs> um, he, tells, he tells you that this is the greatest thing that he's ever seen. And he's he talking about your facilities and everything. And your family, what you've built and, you know, all the blood, sweat and tears that we had talked about and what it had all kind of culminated in. And he tells you the sentence, the statement that I've heard you say cuts you to your core. Carlito, you will never be a great cigar maker. After everything we've talked about and everything your family's endured, talk about that moment. Yes, uh, there. I've always said that God speaks to you. God speaks to you in many different ways. You could be driving in the middle of the Sahara Desert. There's nothing but desert and sand on both sides, and all of a sudden you see a three-legged puppy, a little puppy bouncing across the road and you stop and you say, where did that come from? Oh, you're back in that desert. You're sitting down and all of a sudden a butterfly comes and ruffles your ears. Something is happening. Something is happening. Like Jeremiah mentioned those sparkles, that dust that comes from, from the heavens. God is speaking to you. You have to learn how to listen. When we came to Dominican Republic, I came, I was young. I said, was younger, let's put it that way. You know, with so much enthusiasm, so much drive, you know, so much ambition to really build it and survive, actually. But it's, it was working hard and to really prove that our, our passion and, and our love for cigars and cigar making and so forth. But I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. And, um, you know, I had a band in Tampa. Well, I was part of a band. It was the most popular band in Tampa. We played every wedding, every week. Our miss was company parties, New Year's party. People knew who I was and they, you know, they knew my family. So I was, I spent three months here in the Dominican Republic. And I remember going back to Florida 
and a lot of my friends and people that I knew, everybody from, you know, from the city, town, Carlito, we haven't seen you, man. Where you been? I said, in the Dominican Republic. They said, where is that? Where is that? I'm talking about 1980. And I would say it's the island in the heart of the Caribbean, right between Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico, and Cuba. I never said it's the island that, you know, that is part of Haiti and this and that, because, you know, the perception was totally different. And they didn't even know. They couldn't figure out, never heard of it. And I said, Hispaniola, the island of Hispaniola, where Columbus landed, where the first university, the first hospital, you know, the first everything, the first cathedral in the new mm -hmm. world. And then they would say, oh, Hispaniola, yes, because that's what we were taught in school, the island of Hispaniola. And I remember that's what I was taught. I was never taught Dominican Republic. And I started realizing early on that if you don't have soil, procedencia, like they say, origins, like they say, you have a connection, you don't have a product. You don't have a product. And uh, I said, well, because everybody was always, oh man, you know, Colombia, Jamaica, all the places where, you know, they grew other type of smoking stuff. You know, they all knew that in my hometown, but, <laughs> you know, Dominican Republic, no, you know, but then you Cuba, Puerto Rico, whatever, Colombia. And I realized that for us to be a great producer, we had to have procedencia, origins, like the cheese of Holland or the cars of, you know, Italy, or the perfume in France, or whatever, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. So we started inviting people to come to the Dominican Republic. Started with people from the United States and so forth. And we started growing and growing and growing where they saw what we were doing. And uh, we started really, we, we were one of the first to really start giving tours and everything in 1980 to, to 86. In 1988, Richard Marifel, Jeremiah's father, said, we have to start bringing people from Europe because Europe doesn't know about the Dominican Republic. They all, everything was Cuba, Cuba, Cuba. And we started bringing people from Europe. And on the second visit of Europeans, there was a group from France. And the president of the, of the retail association, whatever, the, the who's who of France, uh, Mr. Mature, we became good friends was part of the group. We took them to the warehouses and showed them all the process and tobacco fermentation. They, they landed first in the capital. They went to see the colonial city, the old world. We bring them to the factory and we show them everything. And, you know, the warehouse, we used to end up in the beach. But in the factory tour, Mr. Mature said, he, he observed, he says, Calito, it's amazing what you accomplish here the organization, the passion, the love, the way you do things. I haven't seen this in many, many years. Now, remember, they used Carly to- Carlito, I'm here. I'm just going to step away for two seconds. Keep telling your story. I'm right here, though. Once okay, but, but don't leave me alone. Come back. I'm here. Alone. No, I'm right here. I just need to make sure the connection stays. Okay. You're good. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, Mr. Uh, Mature, the gentleman from France, he's, uh, you know, walking the factory says, he says, Carlito, it's amazing what you have accomplished. It really is. I haven't seen the passion in many years. Like I said, they went to Cuba every single year because that's what they sold were Cuban products. They didn't sell products from Dominican Republic or Nicaragua in France in those days. If they did, it was very, very few. And um, 
I remember he tells me, he says, you're gonna, you'll never be a great cigar producer. I said, what? I said, I don't understand. He said, no. He said, what do they make next door? I said, Levi's. And he says, you know, it doesn't matter if they make it in Guatemala and Hong Kong and Canada or any place in the world. It's Levi's. They bring the fabric in from uh, other parts of the world and they assemble it in a certain place, but the label is Levi. It doesn't matter where it's made. I said, but why? We're, we're, but we're making cigars. He says, no, you're assembling cigars. You're not producing cigars because the crowning glory of the cigar is the outside, it's the wrapper. And you are bringing in wrappers. Where's this wrapper from? I said, this is from Cameroon. Where's that? Connecticut, Ecuador, and so forth. And he says, what you're doing, you're assembling cigars, not producing. The crowning glory of the cigar is the wrapper. You will never be a great cigar producer. You assemble cigars, just like the clothing industry and all the industries around you that bring raw materials from other places, assemble it, and they export it. Well, that broke my heart because I realized that was true. You know, and I said, if I'm going to be in this country and sacrifice a country that had been so good to me, who I was in love with the country, I was grateful to the country, uh, the Dominican Republic, the people, they have been so good to me. I'm so happy. I knew what I had to do. I had to find a way to be able to prove that you go rapper in Dominican Republic because I didn't want to be, or I didn't want this country to be considered or looked at or viewed as a country that assembles cigars. A cig had to be a cigar producing country where everything is born from the soul of the country. And moving forward, what, 25, 27 years now, I think, 27 years. Mm -hmm. You know, since the first crop, the first crop was uh, planted in, uh, oh God, 1991, planted in 1991, harvested in 92. How many years has been? 30 years? 30 years. Since we planted, yeah, 30 years. And today, people that said it was impossible, the industry said that we will fail. It was everybody. I don't know any... They, I, we didn't have support from anyone in the Dominican Republic, from no one. Everybody was telling people that it was not true, that we will fail. Well, today, today, many of those same people that were saying negative things and, and saying that we will never be able to accomplish this and the Dominican Republic, blah, 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 blah. Today, they claim to grow rappers. And today we have proven that one of the best tasting rappers in the world, one of the most beautiful rappers is the Dominican Republic I'm not saying it's the best, but it's equal to the best of any other country in the world. You know, in, the, in this journey to create this, to prove that this tobacco could be grown and to, to, to basically prove this gentleman wrong, it, it wasn't just his comment. Like you mentioned a second ago, like your colleagues, people you respected, people you knew and knew you for years and knew knew you for the talent that you, you and your father were, still doubting you. That, and we were talking about at the top of the show, the, the weight, the responsibility. I mean, that, that had to be some of your hardest times. It certainly was. It was some of my hardest times because 
people that I genuinely loved, believed in, they really went out of the way to make us look like we were foolish idiots, that we would fail, that we didn't know what we were doing. When I say we, the family or the company, but my father knew how much I believed this, how much I wanted. My father kept on behind me, giving me support, whatever it costs, whatever it costs, giving me support, don't give up. The word impossible, the word if doesn't exist in the Fuente vocabulary. My father's proven that over and over. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. Listen, it was, it was very, very difficult years. We had so much controversy, so much problems, uh, so much division in the industry. Um, very, very hard times. Very hard times. I never, I felt betrayed. I didn't feel betrayed. I was betrayed. I was betrayed. I want to make that clear. I didn't feel betrayed. I was betrayed. But I don't want to bring that up or, or mention anything. But even went into a lawsuit with the Mandavis and the Rothschilds that cost my family $3 million and three years fighting for a name that had nothing to do with their wine or anything like that. But because they have an association with a cigar maker who this. It, it was very sad. Uh, I guess it's a learning experience of life, but I thank them all now. I'm very grateful to them, all of them. All the ones that, that really said so many negative things and said it was impossible and came out in the press, it's in print, saying that you cannot grow rappers in America, we're gonna fail and so forth. Because if we would have just grown rappers and they would have been quiet, we would have had some rappers and so forth. But they created such a controversy. It became such a con for years before we were just, we didn't release the, 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 the cigar because it wasn't ready and the labels weren't ready. And I wanted to make something special. I wanted to make a label like no other label ever done before. And I wanted to make a box like no other box. I wanted to bring back the culture and the history. And during these two years, from 1991, 92 to 1995, in 95 or six when it was, well, the lawsuit was in uh, uh, 97 or it got seasoned in 90s. During all that time, their attack is attacking us. And if it wasn't for that, the whole world knew about this, knew about these, this, who are the Fuentes, the Fuente, you know, that's not true, they're lying. They're using tobacco from an island not too far away and they're saying that it's Dominican. It's not true. All of the big, 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 big voices of the industry. Some of them are not around today, they passed. And um, they created this controversy so big that I think today that the brand would have not gotten this status that it, you know, the most all after, the most controversial, everything that it achieved, if it wasn't for this controversy, mm -hmm. during the lawsuit with the Mandavis and the Rothschild, you're talking about two big, powerful international company, world companies. They went, they were in all the editorials and saying about how this little family is six, 
is infringing on them, whatever the words are and everything, blah, 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 this and that. They made the world of the wine world, because this was through the wine publication mostly, and of course, all the cigar publication, but the people knew who we were, but the wine industry, nobody knew who the friend, the family was. It was, a, it was just that time. But Marvin, who has oh, the Shankin publication to come up with Cigar Pistonado, their big magazine was Wine Experience, a wine spectator. Right. So there's all these articles and editorials, and they, I think they did ads and everything about what we're doing and blah, 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 and the lawsuit. Imagine a little family like us. But what I didn't know that the Mandavis and the Rothschild, as famous and powerful they were, they had a lot of enemies, a lot of competitors that want to see them go down. They've been around for a long time and they had a history, they had adversaries and everything. And all of a sudden, the wine industry started sending me letters and sending stuff and re reaching out. Don't give up. This is wrong. This is David versus Goliath. This is an abuse. These people, that family, they've had issues in within. The father doesn't speak to the son, the son and the other brother. That's terrible. Those people have been at war with each other. Those people are not. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. But don't forget, Wine Spectator also gave out all these awards to the, the best restaurants, the restaurants that have the biggest wine list. So all of a sudden, Fuente, Fuente Obersex, the Fuente family, becomes a household name in the news to everybody in the wine industry, everybody in the restaurant industry, and this whole country. If it wasn't for my colleagues, who really went out to destroy us. I don't think that we would have reached that notoriety that we that we are reached. But you asked the question, and I just want to say the following. Our goal was just to be able to prove that you could grow rappers in the Dominican Republic. There's no logical reason why not. The soils are beautiful, the climate, there's no reason for heaven's sake. You grow rappers in Florida, you grow rappers in, you can grow rappers anywhere. Connecticut, come on, man, this, you know, that, so. I just wanted to be able to grow a rapper to be able to, to prove and be grateful to this country and not be, not be considered an assembler of cigars, but a producer of cigars and for the country to be able to produce the rappers. But you know what really happened, Bear? That cigar brought so much awareness and notoriety to our, to our family, to our brands and so forth. People started coming to visit. We became aware of a situation that probably we would have, you know, never, you know, there were no schools, no running water, no running electricity. And Children at the age of six, seven years old were looking for work in the tobacco fields and the mines and everything. And I really believe, remember I said God speaks to them in different ways? The Fuente Open Sex brand was the vehicle that to be able to grow a tobacco took us to this area, Caribe, where it was once known as the most violent location, it wasn't even a community location, where criminals were high because there was no, no law enforcement, right there, no electricity, no running water, no schools. 
there was a small little a five by eight little block thing without electricity, but it but it was nothing in the community and children were working so they could eat that day. I believe Fuente Fuente over sex and everything that we had to go through, we had to prove all the obstacles that we faced, all the challenges was to bring us aware of a situation that was taking place for decades of generations in these communities. And that awareness had, at Chateau de Fuente, through Fuente Fuente with Sex, has led to the development of Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, where there's everything from preschool all the way to high school, to a technical school, to health center, I mean, clinics, laboratories, the whole thing, amphitheaters, baseball stadium, a baseball stadium, which was originally financed by Cigar Aficionado or, or Shankin Publications, basketball, volleyball, organic farming. We teach ballet. They graduate speaking three, language, three languages and on and on and on and on. And now, now, now we are building the Academy of Arts with all the support that we have received over the 10 years of our relationship with Ublo, the Academy of Arts, where we're gonna teach journalism, where there's gonna be a musical, a bit of professional musical school sponsored by Arturo Sandoval, the greatest in the world. We're gonna have a recording studio. We're gonna teach film, movie making. We're gonna teach all the arts. We're gonna give the young, the younger people who have a talent, an opportunity to shine and to come out. And, uh, you know, to me, that's, you know, I love, I'm not an artist, but I know that children, if you give them a chance, I, I just know that from there, there's gonna be a lot of great talented students that are come out and many of them are gonna make it big in this world and be able to bring smiles to so many people. This is what it's all about, it's about giving back. So, I mean, it just, without the cigar, without that over sex, we wouldn't have been where we're at today. And that's an A? Yes, I just, I just oh. lit it up. Oh my God, oh my God. What time zone are you in? <laughs> Look at well, that. Even wow. after we call it a night, Carlito, I've no, got some not, work not to do. Not for anything, so. but that cigar's <laughs> got to be pretty old too. I think it's pretty old. But anyway, enjoy it. Think about it. Without that cigar, none of this would happen. I think that's bigger than the product. If the product is a cigar and this, and, and it's got a story and it sacrifices. But what has evolved through that cigar is something like Jeremiah says, divine. It's something is people. How about cigar family? Mm-hmm. Cigar family. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people who come together that give back and contribute them to help the children become better in life. We already have children that would have not gone to school. Young ladies, I mean, seriously, if you know these countries and you understand these world, this world, this sad world, girls at 12, 13 years old are getting married or they get pregnant so they could help the mom or this or that, or they're working as a maid or helping in a house, uh, gangs, Drugs. They are now, they're now, they're going to college. We already have teachers, 
architects, business owners, transportation business owners. We have doctors. You got to come down. You got to see it because you know what? I could talk about it all day, all night, all week, all year. But seeing, you got to see it for yourself. That is amazing. And 100%, 100% that is raised through the Cigar Family Travel Foundation goes directly to the cause, to the project, to the children, to the things. All legal, traveling, marketing, the 20-some salesmen we have, they're doing events, everything. The toast across America that we do. I saw another a person yesterday posting something. Wow, you know, they're great cigars, but $50. They're not $50. You pay $50, but those $50 go directly to the school. We right. donate the cigars to the human family. And 100% of everything, we cover all administrative, all legal costs, everything. It's the real thing. And it has been recognized by the United Nations as being the model of social and corporate responsibility and giving back. And to me, oh, that is that is the opus. Because you know what opus means? It means your masterpiece, your work of a lifetime, your greatest achievement. To me, that is my opus, the Newman family's opus, and everybody in Cigar family, everybody, that's their opus. Absolutely. So Carlito, once again, perfect segue. This, uh, this is the time of the evening where we talk about uh, a charity or nonprofit of my guest choosing and what a wonderful way to kick it off by talking about the origin of the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which is the creation that I'm holding right now. The Opus X brought to life this realization for this small community. You started, this community started with a school, if you could even call it that, one classroom, eight by 10, just a few students. And now you just talked about it. Businessmen and women, doctors, lawyers, people are graduating knowing languages. Now you're gonna be introducing the arts and music, thanks to Arturo Sandoval and your wonderful and beautiful friendship, film, film i remember you telling a story about when sammy sosa came to visit you guys down there wow and nobody knew wow. who he was because they didn't have television no they didn't know who he was and now you get to teach it to them you're bringing the world to them the world of literature and the world of art the world of medicine and science and math This is your greatest creation, Carlito. And it has nothing to do with the fact of what I'm smoking. I agree with you, Bear. Totally agree. And for the reasons that we spoke earlier, you're absolutely right. I have no doubt in that. I believe, I strongly believe, and I'm very grateful. If I was the instrument, whatever it is, I'm grateful and I will never forget. And I know that I have to, as long as I'm breathing, I got to keep pushing the envelope and continue to develop that organization, the foundation, to give the opportunity to all the youth and the children because they are changing the world. Before we used to say, we're changing the world one child at a time. But today, cigar family graduates the professionals are changing the world because they're not leaving to New York or Boston 
or you know anywhere else in the United States, in a big city. That was their goal. And when they get out illegally without education, there's a good chance they're gonna cause a lot of problems. Now they understand, they come back to their community, like you said, speaking three languages. They come back as teachers, as doctors, entrepreneurs, this and that, because they were taught that their first responsibility is to give back, give back to the community. They know that they were blessed because they are the blessed children they had an opportunity to do so many big hearted people who love cigars from around the world that gave them an opportunity to get an education. So now they have to get back to the community. And that's exactly what they're doing. When you look at that community today, when what it was 20 years ago or less, and you see today block houses painted in gardens and sidewalks and electricity and paved streets, you know, asphalt streets. And they have community and they have mm -hmm. like, you know, PTAs and meetings and they, it, we even, they even things we take for granted, state. things we take for granted, things we take for granted, but it didn't exist there. Mm -hmm. It was like the law, of the jungle, the strong survived and the strong all, all usually survived by abusing and being strong. Not anymore. Now it's with this. Now it's with doing things and with this talking reasoning you know to me that you're right that is that is the opus that is the that is the masterpiece of life the results were where this whole controversy took us and where we're at today with the foundation i agree 150 percent with you and i really appreciate you bringing it up there thank you well i'd like to make a call i i i don't normally make two too strong of a i mean i make a strong call on this every single week we have we've featured hunt uh, we've featured dozens of amazing charities over the last year and a half during this segment but i'm calling on everyone tonight who's listening in the chat to follow my to follow my lead on this as i do every single week i donate to the charity of choice and i will be doing that later tonight i've placed it in the chat i'll be placing in the show notes later please contribute to this amazing cause to this amazing group of families, the Cigar family, the Newmans, the Fuentes, the Mirafels, everyone that we've talked about tonight are all a part of this amazing organization. Because of this, that community now that we just talked about went from one single classroom to a community fostering leaders for the next generation and the next generation to come. Please donate. Every little bit helps. It doesn't have to be a lot. No, it Every doesn't. little bit helps. Please. Carlito, I just got a few more questions tonight. Again, can't thank you enough for all this. And I uh, really uh, wanted to give credit here to a friend of ours who is listening to the show, uh, Luciano Mayrelles, who had a question about blending specifically. Mm -hmm. You, your father, learning from your father, have blended some of the industry's most iconic blends during his lifetime and during yours. In fact, including even divine inspiration, the Casa Cuba that he actually never smoked. Correct. So Luciano's question to you is, where the natural talent to blend is a gifted capacity to identify and create flavors encounters the tradition and family legacy. He wants to hear your take on companies like we talked about the next generation, like Room 101, Crowned Heads, Drew Estate, 
cigars companies that have been around for 10, 15, 20 years now, but they're still the quote unquote young guns. What's your take on those? Well, first of all, I take my hat off to each and every one of them because they have brought so much excitement. They, you, I am the patient in, in the bed, tired, you know, and they just given me like new fresh blood. Same thing I did with my father. Same thing my father did with his father. They're all, every brand that you mentioned, they're young, even though some of them not be so young, but they're innovative, they're bringing a fresh idea. And I think I've said it so many times, you know, we're all one, but we need young blood in this industry. I remember a time after the Cuban embargo, when, every, when all the families were selling their companies and leaving because they didn't know the resource we're gonna do, it's the young blood that build this industry up again. I agree with all the, with each and every one of them, they've contributed. And some of, some of the ones that you mentioned, or most of them also, I really respect and admire them because they brought in new ideas of how to market, how to get across, to bring a freshness, to bring a little bit of edginess. Um, and it's a new palette. It's, you know, you talk about blending. Blending is an, I, I was born in, inside tobacco, around tobacco, but we're, we're like chefs, all of us. And I really think, listen, if you want to learn tobacco, learn how to cook. I'm not a cook, but I, I really relate to it. The secret is you have to have the patience and the resources, the amount of tobacco, the different tobaccos and so forth, and age them and so forth. But you're blending solids, five, six, seven, four, whatever it is, binder, wrapper, you're blending solids. So it's like, you know, you smell it, you taste it. How is it? Same thing as you're cooking. One could, one could be the oregano, the other is the garlic, the other one is the parsley, you know, it's maybe a little mint. These are the different leaves, different tobaccos from different areas. And I think that uh, today's young generation, oh, let me, I don't want to say they're young because I don't think they're all very successful business people, though everyone you mentioned. I think that I think they all understand what good meals are. I think they all understand. And I tell you, I wish there were five times more people that like them that come in the industry and contribute to the industry with innovation and good faith. The reason I say good faith, because I really think that we have to respect everyone that's here and be aware of what's going around in the industry and the risk of uh, survival that we're all facing. And to be part of the support, be part of the family and be careful because there's, everyone you mentioned is, is more than a business to them. It started out maybe as a business, but it became their lives. And they've, you know, they really have put their, you know, they put their, everything they have behind it. And um, they fell in love with, uh, with the leaf. They fell in love with it. And they keep making great cigars. 
And I'm just very fortunate to be in an industry with so many great, there's so many more. There's so many more. You know, you know who they are. We know who they are. They're my friends. I look at them all with great admiration. You know, a few moments ago, Jose Blanco got on and gave a very stirring and passionate address talking about this industry and how we have to come together and fight for our, for our right to exist. And, uh, you know, this past, uh, this past week, an organization that you and I both support um, incredibly, the PCA, which is the center of our industry, put out a, a pretty, you know, important statement, I thought, about, because the next generation, not necessarily anyone that I just mentioned, but the next generation is taking this, this kind of zeal to a different level. And it's brought about a little bit of a controversy in terms of responsible marketing. And there was a statement put out by PCA uh, about being responsible when it comes to marketing, making sure that we're being, that we are staying in that lane of marketing these wonderful products to the people who should be annoying them, which is adults. Children don't smoke premium cigars. We've said that time and time again. The FDA has even acknowledged this through their own studies. So the statement was pretty, uh, it was pretty important, um, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it, particularly um, around just the idea of responsible marketing itself. I know you and your family have always, always practiced responsible marketing, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on the statement and the industry as, it, as a whole how you feel about responsible marketing. Bear, that's something that is very, very important that you ask that. And, uh, you know, I was just sitting at a dinner table. Jeremiah was here. Uh, first day he arrived, I think it was the beginning of this week. I don't remember exactly what day it was. And I see something from PCA. I see it on Facebook. And uh, I see a letter going out. I, I looked at it and I started reading it and it just brought back so many unpleasant memories that I have gone through over the years when I started reading that. I have no idea or who or what brand or what it is or what label they were talking about because I don't think they mentioned anything. I just was reading it. No, there's no I, one mentioned by name. That's correct. No, one yeah, was mentioned no, I, by name. I don't remember. I was reading. I just reading, you know, and I at that moment, because I have been so many times with Rocky, with Jorge Padron, with Robert Levin, you know, with, with Alan, Ruben, and it just, and Tack to Pete, and just, you know, and I'm, I'm going to forget in our group and the Newmans, and, you know, and we go there and we go, we have faced with PCA, the FDA, several times, senators, congressmen, you know, I don't want to repeat what Jose said earlier, constantly over almost 10 years now. And it's always about marketing to underage and so forth. We swear to, I mean, to be in front of Mitch Zeller and uh, the last director, whatever, the one, the senator that, uh, uh, I don't remember what we call his name, in front of them and you're there and you see all these people taking notes who could be my children, 
were 23, 24, and never even seen a cigar. I have no idea and tell you that's the same as a cigarette. Who have no idea and we're there and we swear to them, we do not market to children. And they're talking about all the stuff in gas stations and they have all these different packagings that one says sweet, the other one says banana. And they're showing us that that is not who we are. Premium cigars, we need to be regulated. If we're going to be regulated, we don't want to be regulated, but we have to be regulated differently because we cannot survive under these rules. And we're trying just being practical. And I know we have spent millions and millions of dollars, millions with the legal fees and fighting to protect the industry. You know, today there's no warning labels, big warning labels covering one third of the inside of the box, outside of the box, on an ashtray, on, the, on a hat, on so many things. You could imagine your program or any other program, any pot that you have a warning label one third ever so often about showing, hey, you know, this is about this and that, that horrible. We have fought and we've been able to at least postpone judgment. Okay. But the most important thing that we have fought for and we have proven our group is that the handmade cigar industry, premium cigar industry, does not market to minors or children. They are very concerned with flavors. We know other things. They're concerned with everything. When I saw the PCA letter, I didn't know who they were referring to or what. I don't know. But I said, shit, man, this is the same shit over and over again. Nothing happens. You have a letter. They put it on Facebook. And a week later, nobody remembers the letter or read it. I thought to myself, listen, nobody in this industry has the balls, but I have to do it. And it was not perhaps done in good taste, but I had to do it. It's the only way to shake the fucking tree and bring people, at least so this conversation, you know, maybe like Putin now, he has, wants to have a conversation. You know, he's, you got it sometimes because the PCA did not do it with the letter. It was weak. It didn't say anything. Hey, okay, this is the letter. It hasn't changed anything. We have to join, be together. And this, are you with us against us? I had no idea who it is, what it is. It wasn't intended to be. But I know, I know that we all have to work together. And it was my intention to shake the house a little bit and bring attention so we could have a conversation about it because it wouldn't have happened with that letter. The letter for the PCA was a softball underhand. And i tell you one thing. I know your colleague and everything. I take my hat off to Charlie Minato coming out and saying the shit the way it is. We Listen, if we keep softballing and we don't stand to our grounds as an industry, all of us together, retailers most importantly, huh? because they're the ones that have the communication with the consumer, and journalists that have communication with consumers to make them understand the picture. It's not trying to start a fight with anybody or start anything. Mm -hmm. It's to bring awareness that this industry, we are fighting very hard for everyone to survive, for everyone, for everyone. We're fighting very, very hard. And 
the FDA has us under a magnifying glass. They go to the conventions. They're there. Mm -hmm. They're taking pictures. I don't want to go to the next meeting that we have to go with senators and this and that, because let me tell you, they're, they're pretty smart and they have an agenda and that is to shut us down. There's no question about it. They tell us in our face, they don't want any combustible products with tobacco in the market at all. They've told us, okay? Their intention is to finish with us. I don't want to go to another meeting and say, we do not market for children because that's the only argument because everything else, health, this, that, uh, the amount of, it, it, we, that's all been more or less statistically proven. We have information for that to argue. It's underage children. I don't want to go to a meeting again to pain as in our group, millions and millions and millions of dollars and go there and say, no, we don't. Our industry, handmade cigars are not market for children. And they bring out packaging with, with whatever it is, whatever it is the PCA was referring to, with images or this and that. They don't, the, the FDA, they're not cigar smokers. They're there to regulate us. And whatever, mm -hmm. they, all they need is an excuse, one excuse. And you know what? They vote and it's over for us. Absolutely. I, I, I thought that the, the spirit of the letter was good. You know, the, the, the spirit of it. But I, I thought, like you said, Carlito, I, I thought there were a couple of parts that were just, why couldn't they speak like you just spoke? Let's let's take a hard line on this. I, I'm pulling a quote directly from the letter. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us as all to not only exercise common sense, discretion and responsibility and at times at times restraint in our marketing and sales practice, but to respectfully encourage our peers and business partners to do the same. That that's those are really nice words. And like I said, the spirit of the letter is well intentioned, but. It needs to be more direct. Therefore, yeah, it is incumbent letter, upon us that, to be responsible. Tell them not to do it. We will we not have, associate with it. But we have, we have players who have entered our industry that they know how to read and write, but they see a letter and they smile. You got to grab them by the balls and you got to pull hard on it to call their attention and tell them, listen, we're all, you, you do not come in our world to destroy us. It's going to come down to that. Oh, now we're all gone. It's over. It's going to come down to that. And um, I just thought myself personally, with all due respect to all my friends, and, and you were part of that. I just thought when I read that, I go, it's going to be the same thing again. Another year, the same BS. Da, 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 da. They know the dangers of, of marketing in a certain way. The PCA knows they're involved. They're in Washington all the time. Mm -hmm. They know now as an organization, they got to stand up. You know what? And if the organization destroys itself, but at least go down fighting, go down fighting because they're going to go down because they don't fight. They're not fighting with, they're not fighting with, with, with strength. They're fighting with beautiful flowery words that caress the enemy and tell them, Hey, look, we, you know, that sounds a little bit like Biden. And I don't know where you're at. You know, hey, you're my buddy, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And here's Putin that has balls and is going to go and take over the world. And that's good. I'm telling you, we, you got to be very careful, man. That's my, you really, Jose says two cents. That's my three cents. And I really strongly believe that it's, we've already spoken about this for so long, so many meetings, 
so many things. I listen, I just think that my only intention was not personal. It was just to bring awareness of this situation. Absolutely. It's not upon myself to make judgment or to, I, I can't resolve this. It's the only thing I could do is speak strongly and express what could really happen. I think Jose said the same thing. Jeremiah said the same thing. What could happen to all of us with a few players that just don't understand or not in it for the long haul, they're in it for the short term or for the fast term. You know, they want the fast lane and whatever. We just have to be careful. And I don't think anybody means any harm. Mm -hmm. I think they're just not aware of the dangers. They're not, they're not supporting because I know the members of CRA who are paying for these bills and everything. Nobody, no, no members, no serious member is doing anything like that that I'm aware of. So there are probably people that not even aware the dangers that they may cause the industry, probably not aware, but I think that it's time that the PCA and every organization, the journalists, the blogs and everything say, Hey guys, we're all together in this. We all have to be successful. So everybody wins. I want everybody to, I want them to, I want there to be another 20, 30 new beautiful brands in the next coming years coming out and be successful and make this world because the more, the merrier, the more consumer, the happier, mm -hmm. there's room for everybody. That's been proven room for everybody. But if all of a sudden your show or every Coop show and every other show, Abe show, or whatever it is, all of a sudden they got warnings, every other thing, blah, blah, blah. And you have your face is covered. And, and, you know, a Fuente hat has to be covered and a Fuente bag has all these warnings. Are you, or a box of cigars, are you going to give for a wedding a box of cigars that's half covered the labels and this and that? It's going to become like Europe. It's going to end up being the brand is going to be nothing not going to be, it's going to be a commodity. That's the beginning of the end. And the ones that are going to suffer, like Jose said, is we're going to suffer a hell of a lot, but the ones that are going to suffer, not the big companies, it's all the innovative young entrepreneurs, which you mentioned many of them that are so important for the, for the survival of our industry. They're the ones that the brands have not been around long enough that if there's no identity, if they don't have a way to promote it, if they can't do this and that, and all the freedom of marketing is taken away, they're going to be hurt. And if they're hurt, we're all hurt. Everybody. You have a beautiful beard. You have a beautiful beard, but I always heard growing up, if your neighbor's house catches fire, Soak your beer, your beard in water because the flames are coming your way. I've heard that always growing up as a little boy. My father always told me that, and I believe that. I'd rather have a small piece of a big pie than a big piece of a small pie. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Carlito, I just have a few more questions. I know this has been a really long night and I just I greatly appreciate the conversation as my audience has too. This is a. Hey, by the way, is, yes. by the way, 
Happy Valentine's Day, my friend. It's two, <laughs> it's 2 a.m. here in the Dominican Republic. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you, Carly. You and all the listeners and everything. <laughs> listen, listen, I know we get into a little heated and subjects and we get a little bit passionate and everything, but listen, my love, happy Valentine's Day. Let's smile and uh, enjoy cigars and keep, keep making sure the world spins with happiness. Absolutely. So my, my next two questions are a little happy. So, you know, this is, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the Fuente story tonight. And part of that story was a, a turn into a country that we thought was going to be the new era of Fuente cigars. You were given the keys to the kingdom. The red carpet was laid out in the beautiful country of Nicaragua. And so often in times we all kind of realized that we were born a little too early. Sometimes <laughs> we were born generation too soon. I always say I was born a generation too late. I was meant for radio. So this, this whole video thing, I was, I, this is not a face for video. This is a face. This is a voice for radio. I, I miss the golden age, but all joking aside, Nicaragua promised to be the next generation and generation of the Fuente family. Of course that didn't pan out because of uh, the turmoil in the early, the late seventies, early eighties. And which when she took you to Honduras briefly, and then Correct. eventually led to the Dominican, which we talked about earlier, you cashed in everything. You had a, you had a mail order business. Yes, you had a business true. with your father. Your father says, well, you got to come with me. You gave him everything you got. Wasn't much though. <laughs> Left all the luxuries behind. And said hello to the Dominicans. So, but now fast forward 30 years later ish. 40. 40. 40 years later, yes. Ground is broken back again in Nicaragua. The Fuentes are coming back. How is that project going for you all? Well, totally. We had two large farms. We're building now. Maybe you see uh, Felix Mesa, our man in Nicaragua posting photos, building uh, large buildings for processing tobacco and to keep expanding. We had the property. We, we, this, everything stopped when it was like a little mini revolt, but the mini revolt was scary. It's very scary for us. Everything I had to bring back night, night, nightmares from before. Yeah, I mean, of course, gosh. of course. You had a mini revolt, a lot of people killed and it got very, very bad. And uh, COVID comes in, so there was just, and we're, at the same time, we're expanding here in the Dominican Republic, all the resources going here in the Dominican Republic. We had meetings with the builder, with the engineers, we had the plans made, we have the property, uh, everything, and then the election was coming, and there was a lot of uh, emails going out, you know, be careful, not wanting, you know, Nicaragua, American citizens, you know, all these things. And that was a time of being cautious, but we're ready to go and we're ready to start. That's a commitment that I have to do. It was a, it's a commitment of a wish of my father. You know how important my father is to me. Mm -hmm. I know we have so much here in the Dominican Republic and we're growing, we're doing so many things and expanding and farming and all but Nicaragua is very, very important because that's where we were. And my father's dream was always to go back and rebuild what was taken away from us. And I think it's part of our 
the way I was taught our stories and never give up. And I want to leave that infrastructure. I want to leave that, that legacy and everything for that person that when I'm on that train and I get off on my last stop and I pass the torch, I want to leave everything, the whole infrastructure. I don't want to say empire, but leave everything in place the way that I envision it, the way it should be. Uh, with the feelings and things like this and paying tribute to the family, that will happen. That will happen in my lifetime, God allowing. And what we're hoping to see, if I, rem if I remember my history correctly, the original Don Carlos, the original, like before That's I was born. Don Carlos, 1976. It was the original Don Carlos of Nicaragua, and it wasn't too many years later excuse me, that I reblended it and I reintroduced it. I did uh, in honor of my father with camera wrapper, which uh, Jeremiah's father participated. It was a cigar that we were blending back and forth and he smoked it and but I blended it to for the European market as something to be able to enter the European market. And hopefully it was something that they would gravitate to like or whatever you want to say, because at that time, really they didn't know anything other than Cuban tobacco and Cuban cigars and Cuban brands. So it was reintroduced in Dominican Republic. <coughs> Sorry. So is the dream to hopefully, is the plan, the dream, hopefully to bring the original Don Carlos home? The tobaccos using Don Carlos could be grown again, but they're not being grown now. I know what they are, but of course, of course, of course. Yeah, maybe someday, you know, someday we could do that. But I want to, I want to go to, to I want to enter Nicaragua uh, to make Fuentes, not Fuente brands, Fuente cigars, our style, our way of blending, our things, and do things our way. We, I want to, my envision of what we've worked at together as a team, our whole team. Is basically what we have here and just transporting it over there. But we're gonna, of course, we have different tobaccos. We've grown already six crops and we haven't used oh. a leaf yet on several farms. Awesome. So, you know, we, I wanna, but uh, not the point, but we have other brands. We have some very, very beautiful, we're gonna start little by little. I don't intend to make a lot of cigars. I don't intend to take one cigar maker from any of my friends over there who have factories. They're all my friends. We're gonna start training. As a matter of fact, the building that we're building now, which is separate from where the factory is gonna be, we're starting to train people. Oh, it's great. I wanna train people and they learn. I wanna train people, I wanna do things our way and I don't wanna interfere with anybody there. I'm there to support Nicaragua to help build Nicaragua and contribute to Nicaragua. But by no means, I'm from the old school. I know what those, what, what could happen with, what, when you disrespect one of your colleagues and you take some other people and everything, which is very common. I don't believe in that. I suffered a lot when they did it to me. I don't want to do it to anyone else. And it's it's in that spirit, Carlito. I, I remember a story you were telling us once about when when this was all coming down and it hadn't been announced yet. You kind of even snuck into the country, 
Yeah. You didn't want anyone to know because you wanted to make sure that everything was done right. And you find your way into the office of your good friend, Jorge Padron. Wow. I'm surprised. And, You're absolutely and, right. And you tell, you tell him about, you tell him about this move and everything. And the reaction he gives you is. No, he was Jubilee. He was happy. Hugged me. And he says, Galito, this is great news. Oh my God. Have you, I said, Jorge, nobody knows. I want you to know. No. And I don't want anyone to know. He says, if you need tobacco, if you need anything, we have a lot of land. My father invests a lot. Of, we have land. You need for whatever you need. You got my support. You know, whatever. I'm so happy. And, you know, we talked about uh, getting involved and doing things similar to Cigar Family Trouble Foundation here. We start talking and he's always, yeah, you know, whatever it is, we'll do it together. You know, he's always there to support. You know, he supports the, the Padron family have been continuous supporter of the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation. That might strike a lot of people as a surprise, but they have been supporters financially of the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation. So, I mean, that we have a, a special relationship, uh, a lot of respect, a lot of, why well, I, I don't know, I have a lot of respect for his family, for him especially. I know, I know what he went through when he lost his dad and, um, you know, it's, it, that really brought us even closer together, you know, because I had lost my dad a couple of years before, and I know how, how important and what his dad meant to him. And uh, that really brought us uh, pretty close, you know. It's strange, but, you know, I have a lot of admiration for them, and, and I have a lot of friends in uh, Nicaragua. You know, we, we remember we were there before a lot of the, a lot of people who are right. there now. We were there. One of four time. factories, right? One of four. Yeah, and they were, and the Padrones were one of them. The Padrones were one of them. Padrones were one of them. Padrones were one of them. They were burned. Their factory was burned the same day as ours. The same exact day. Three factories were burned. One survived. Somoza, General Somoza. The government's factory survived. They were completely surrounded by military and National Guard and everything. And the other factories, all the competition that was the government's competition was burned the same day. Everybody lost everything. It's tragic. But years later, we're talking about 50 years since the 70s. Couldn't believe that. Yeah. Um, you go into Jorge's office, you have this jubilant celebration of two families coming together once again. Fuente's coming home. Although the Dominican and Tampa are a part of, are as, just as much of a part of you as anything, but now coming back to Nicaragua. And in honor of your fathers, you guys announce a project where you will, you will be blending a cigar to honor Jorge's father. Jorge will be blending a cigar to honor yours. And I know this has been a project that has had the entire industry on pins and needles. Um, can't, rush, can't, can't rush time. But we've, we all gotta, we've all gotta ask, like just like they were asking about Opus, Carlito. <laughs> Do we have any idea when we will get to see this beautiful project? Because it will come. We won't doubt. We will not doubt, doubt Carlito again. It'll never PCA. happen again. The cigars have been made but it just wasn't the right time. It's such an important project for us, uh, the PCA this year. Uh, 
I just, I don't see any reason why they will be held back any longer. But remember last year, because we're talking about two brands that are international and uh, I know it's Padron and, you know, I got to, we got to do things that fits both of us and so forth. And there was no show last year, uh, Intra Tobacco in Europe. Uh, we didn't know the PCA, how many people attend, you know, it was, it was not the right year and we want to do it right. And this year we're planning and my daughter Liana is very much involved that our booth will be right next to each other and we'll have something in between oh. to really, to really uh, present and showcase this product and so forth. But you had, you said that yet yeah, how this whole thing and, and how it came about, I'm making a cigar, you know, and the cigar, I've made like three different cigars. I made a bunch and then I left, I did another one and this and that to the final cigar, which has been good that things happen for a reason in time. And, you know, just not to my, I want to make a cigar that I would give with all due respect. We say a viejo, the old man, we say that to our leader. We refer to him as the old man. That's to our culture is very respectful. And to give to Mr. Padron, Jose Orlando Padron, a cigar that I blended that I would like to give to him. Or he's doing the same thing, a cigar that give my father. I have enjoyed many times with Jorge Padron cigars. I know what they are. I know what they taste like. I'm not going to make a cigar even similar to a Padron cigar. I'm going to make a Fuente cigar that I want to give to the, his father, a cigar that I think achieves what his father spoke to me about what a great cigar should consist of, what it is and so forth. So that's not easy. You know, the responsibility, we talk about responsibility. That's not easy, you know, and I just hope people enjoy it. But re remember, I'm not going to make a cigar that's going to be like a Padron cigar at all. That's not my intention. And I'm sure I'm going to make a cigar that I think I would give to his father and explain to him why I made that cigar for him. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful project and a beautiful story. It gives us an opportunity to pay tribute to our fathers. And I think um, it's something that I don't know, it's especially good for our children to see that you don't forget where you come from and you always, always respect and pay tribute to those who gave us the opportunity to be where we're at today. I really look, I really look forward to this project. But believe me, I don't think I suffered <laughs> anymore uh, with Opus X or Fuente Opus X or any other thing than this project. This project, you talk about responsibility, <laughs> and, and, you know, and pressure on the shoulders, it's been that way with me. We know, and we know Jorge's feeling the same pressure. It's, it's, yeah, it's I'm a sure. beautiful project. Hey, I'm sure Jorge's fine. <laughs> it's a beautiful project. And what a, what a, what a token of, what a token of respect to two of the greatest men that this industry has ever known so thank I am, you so much thank you thank you for including my father in that thank you absolutely well carlito it's it's uh it is that time and uh before we conclude uh this uh show was took a little bit of a different turn uh with a couple of 
uh, notable absences of some key features, uh, key uh, segments rather. But we thank the people who bring this show and make it possible. Drew Estate, mentioned before, United Cigars, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, Protocol Cigars, and this entire industry that supports this show so that I can continue to have amazing conversations like the one that we've had this evening with Carlito Fuente. Special appearance by Jose Blanco and Jeremiah Mirfeld. Cannot thank them enough for hopping on as well. And we thank our entire audience for staying up late with us and uh, bidding uh, a good morning to uh, Valentine's Day, as it is for both of us now. Happy Valentine's Day to you, sir. And uh, just want to thank everyone, our audience, all the likes, the shares, the comments. Be sure you check out our YouTube page, Alosa Fumar, as well as our Facebook page, Alosa Fumar, as well. You can check out a calendar of upcoming events. It started today. The next 200 takes start next week, and we're on our way. For everyone out there, I'm Bear Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios of Azel, Texas. He's the legend, the icon, the son of a legend, Carlito Fuente. Thank you, everyone. Thank we'll you. you God bless. Have a wonderful night. Happy Valentine's to everyone. Be well. <laughs>